Marvelous. You don't meet yourself, James. It's all right. Hello, Dad. Hello again. Hello again. Michael's urged me to wait patiently for him to arrive because he's got to type the whole link in. Oh. That was I was like, I was tempted to say, uh, <laughs> it's just me. Have you opened the meeting room? Yes, I have. Wait patiently. Two things, Michael, you and I have many things in common. One of it's is that me and you are incapable of waiting patiently. We're, we're urgent people. Did you just put the Zoom meet, meet, uh, meeting details in, or did you actually have to do the entire link? Uh, I just put the Zoom meeting details in. I put the meeting ID and then the meeting... Uh... Well, you don't have to type in that full 50-letter link. That's bloody nauseating. It's my colour. Did I make this meeting an hour and a half? Oh, what the heck is going to cut off anyways? Oh, come on, Michael. Time is money. Time is money. I think he's trying to join. Are you on? You know, he said he'll be there soon. Oh, well, we might as well have a jolly well. Should we start the cut? No, we'll, we'll wait. We'll wait. To the viewers, to people who are listening to this podcast right now, uh, our great co-host, Michael Cellino, uh, doesn't know how to do a meeting identification code. So we are now waiting for him. Uh, ideally, if you could skip something like minute three, like you did last week, then you would be able to get the start of the dialogue. Of we course, apologize for the uh, disturbance. Yeah, for the delay, viewers. I know other podcasts, you're a nice theme tune and then the start of the content, but we're very weird. We're, we're a good podcast. So we'll get better than this, viewers. Don't worry. Figure out how to edit it. Well, the thing is, you can... There's twofold, right? You can either edit it from the cloud or you can edit it from your you can't edit it from your computer. I like to save it on my computer so I can upload it immediately onto Anchor, the podcast site. Yeah. But if, I don't know how I can do it from the cloud. If I can find a way to do it from the cloud next time, I'll gladly edit the first three minutes of drivel out. <laughs> gladly. I'll figure out a way. Well, I'm sure you will die. I'm sure I will. Well, just for the notice viewers, I'm sure you I'm sick of our drivel. We're going to be talking about the President Biden's domestic agenda. So Medicare, Medicaid, voting rights, social security, infrastructure, and job creation tied together. These are the main five topics we're going to be discussing at the future and how to how to strengthen people's agendas so we can help the working class and where should the Democratic Party be? The party of the middle class or the working class? All right, I'm going to let him, him now. Wait, I made him wait a bit too long. Is he in? No. I might have clicked reject. Oh, no, he's here. Hello. Oh, he's still connected to audio. Oh, there oh, we are. Hello, Michael. Hello. Took Michael. your time. Next time you're on a call, you can just put the meeting ID into Zoom and the password, and you can get in quicker. Yeah, I know. But Why did you type in? That's a picture. I have to type it in. Oh, I thought you were typing the whole link in. 
Oh, well. No, I have to type in the rest of the stuff in. The oh, link's fine. fine. I just need to put in the ID and the password, but that takes its time, especially when loading up Zoom. By the way, have you been invited to that dinner with Keir Starmer and Gary Neville? My parents were talking to me about it. Uh, if, if you I want, want... Come, me, me and James are going, so if you want to come and join yeah. us, you're more than welcome to. Sure, I might do. When's that? 24th of March. 24th of March. All right. I think my family will probably come along as well. Yeah, I'm definitely going. It's an absolute miracle. All right, we're not talking about the Keir Starmer Labour Party. Today we did Britain last week. Today it's about the United States of America. Oh, yes. Okay, we're going to be discussing, Michael, the President Biden's key domestic agenda. We will be moving on to foreign affairs in the latter podcast. Don't worry, we'll be doing Afghanistan, yeah. Ukraine, etc. But I thought if we get, because the media barely talks domestic affairs and obviously we're experts in them. Um, so we're going to be discussing Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, infrastructure, voting rights, and possibly guns if you can get onto it. But I think these are the five main issues from his Build Back Better agenda. We're basically going to dissect what they are, discuss, and then discuss the principle and the practicality, and then offer an alternative if there is one. Yes. Shall we start with voting rights first, or do you want to? We, should we do voting rights, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, and infrastructure? Do you want to flip it round? Uh, I don't mind. All right, it's fine. All right, let's begin with voting rights. First of all, let's just address the principle. James, in, a, in the most affluent nation on the earth, why do you think there are certain people who do not believe people are entitled to the right of free assembly and the right to express your view in democracy? Um, I, I simply think it's because... Well, I'm trying to for this phrase this correctly, but there's just... There's lots of difference in opinions, and I mean... Americans, I mean, throughout history have been very anti-immigration, anti-stuff. So if somebody looks different to the average white American, they're going to think, oh, uh, oh, you're not Brit- uh, you're not hey, American, man. you can't vote. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, they even said that about their own president, for crying out loud. They've, not, they've even said about Barack Obama not being born in America. There's their own president that's saying yeah. it's, you shouldn't be able to vote. I mean, it's a... It's a it's an issue, and it is, and it, it's only it's only a small percentage of Americans. It's only a small percentage of Americans. However, no small percentage of Americans think they're better than any other American just just because just because they're from they they're from Europe, eventually, aren't they? Yeah, and, and they're just white American men. So they think they're better, or white Americans. They they think they're better, which which is a major issue because we all know that they're not. I mean, even isn't isn't it in their constitution that it says all men are equal? Yeah, you know, the first line in their constitution all men, as well. All men are equal to the creator. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly. Right. So, I mean, they're going against even the constitution that they religiously praise to. And the thing, isn't it? Because I've always believed that people criticize others to their own morals. And the Republican Party said, you know, we are the party of freedom, the party of free speech. And the same yeah. party that seems to say, we are now going to cut off black people from voting in the South, the working class yep. from voting in the inner cities. We're now going to prevent students voting because we won't allow their IDs to be accepted as... We won't allow their student cards to be accepted as ID, but a gun license can be accepted as an ID in yeah. the state of Texas. And it seems to me, and Michael, I think you might agree with this, that, that if you look at the UK, especially with their elections bill, that across the Western world, the centre-right parties or right-wing parties, I'd argue... No, they can't put their case to the people, so they're trying to shrink the electorate. Yeah, I mean, the thing is with the electorate, at the minute, it's so divided that you've got... It's almost 50-50 at this point between... Well, you saw in 2020, 
you saw you got like 50-50 uh, Democrats, 50-50 Republicans. You can maybe even say Trump Republicans because I know a lot of Republicans yeah. that are more no, moderate voted for mm. uh, Biden. Oh. Um, the thing is as well, when it comes to talking about the South, for example, this is a very important point. Um, it's a, it's a mess, but it, the, 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 the idea with like when they assume black people and of course it's not every official assumes it's black people but of course um when it comes to restrictions and all that mm. the id is not really the problem the problem is people with cases of fake votes which weren't many and they got arrested and they weren't even counted so there were no fraudulent votes anyway that's the problem. That's nothing to do with ID. ID is a problem, though. The ID in America, say Tennessee, for example, so this is the case in most of the southern states, which I'm familiar with, that your Social Security Administration card will not be accepted as a legitimate form of ID to show that you're claiming Social Security, but a gun license is. I mean, well, the student prob- card at University of Texas will not be accepted, at the University of Houston, for example, that student card will not be permitted as a legitimate form of identification, but a National Rifle, National Rifle Association member's card does. Yeah, Which I don't doubt that. I'm just saying that ID, when it comes to voting and voter fraud, is not the problem. Yeah. Uh, that that's a problem within itself. The type of ID, if a state requires you to use ID to vote, that's just like... I don't understand. That's really that, that's one that I just don't even I can't comprehend. It's so it's silly. A, it's to eliminate a threat that's non-existent. That's the issue. Yeah, that's the problem. There's don't a, fix something that ain't broke. You know. There's a major. There's a, the, the, what they're trying to do is is to they they, they claim it in the manner get rid of voter fraud. Mm. And, and I've got some statistics up here. Between twenty uh, in the twenty twenty election, there were. Um, it's exceedingly rare, but over, over the elections from the year 2000, there's been a naught point, naught, 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 six percent of all those yeah. votes were voter fraud, which, which obviously you don't know what that means, but that that, that basically means that um, you're five times more likely to be hit by lightning than, yeah. than to experience voter and fraud. And win the, the lottery, actually. Yeah, I think. and there's, yeah. you might just be able, but the thing, the thing is, is that is that what, what, what they're trying to do here is trying to alienate voters. Yeah. They're to, the, the, the Republicans... Specifically poorer ones, by the way, just to clarify. Yeah, they're, they're try, they're, it's basically... What it is, basically, is a tax on poor people to vote. It's, advanced, cause, I mean, <laughs> it's like if, the poll you, tax. That, is, yes, that poll, is precisely what it's like. That is precisely what it's like, Michael, because remember the, in the 20th century, the southern region, they had poll taxes, they had literacy tests, but it's exact. This is a version of yeah. it. All these restrictions are is a very, very cynically formed upgrade literature. Like go back to two thousand. If you remember Florida, with two thousand, right? Uh, take Miami Dade County, which is of course seventy three percent African American, most most African American, right? Yes. If you go to the African American counties within Miami Dade, they very conveniently were given old polling equipment 
So if you wanted to punch hole through a ballot, it wouldn't actually punch through. That's why you had things like the dimple chads and the hanging chads, etc., because yeah. you didn't register a vote. And it's very, very convenient, I think. And I don't often look at things with a race perspective, but I think with voting, it is one of them. The fact that very conveniently, if you look at 2000 and with Florida, that 20,000 African-Americans were kicked off the ballot and most of them would voted for Al Gore, even though they were said to be felons. And having looked at them, they realized they were not actually felons. They would, had no relations to felons. And if 20,000 people would vote for Al Gore, we would have a much civilized society. So do you think, for example, because Republicans know, uh, Michael, come to you, not go back to you, James, don't worry, uh, that, for example, that, that America is going to become minority dominated. It's not going to be, it's going to be plurality white, not majority white. And the yeah. Republicans, since uh, Bush, have since uh, after 2004, have really not cared about the, the minority voters anymore. Not really. And... Therefore, they want to shut them off because they can't talk about the policies of the inner cities, of the schools and the hospitals. So they just think, let's implement our nonsense, but let's shut down the base. Yeah, one of the things with that is I'm not sure if it's like a uh, purposeful not care about them. This is what I think it was. I think it was more of a neglect, actually. It was at it was smaller issues such as the uh, war on terror. If we're talking about Bush, which much more stupid issues like the war on terror for example and you've got those silly invasions and weapons and all that but they're completely ignoring the issue of uh, minorities and poorer families uh, not being able to get uh, these voting freedoms for example i think that's what it was i think like for example say oh we don't care about that that's not the that that wasn't it i think it was just a severe silly neglect because and, and it's just as bad that's just as bad that shows either way that you indirectly don't care what you, you don't have to say Marty, it. in 2004 the republican high won 46 percent of the hispanic vote right they won yeah. nearly 18 percent of the african-american vote those figures are now 21 and 6 respectively yeah. And I think personally that when the Republican Party made Sarah Palin the vice president for John McCain, that was the point where they just said, you know what I mean? Two fingers up to the anybody, because that was going toward the base. And I think, yeah. and I think James will agree with me, so I'm going to come to you, James, on this, that the base-driven politics is what's failed, is that for too long, especially in the last decade, that parties of all part colour have stopped appealing to the outer spectrum have stopped listening to the out the other people's opinions and are now just focusing on their most extreme supporters the republicans now are praying to the capital six deniers democrats are appealing to people who don't believe in capitalism and that's the issue so therefore people in the center people become very disillusioned politics all right no can sense. i just before before james comes in, i just want to say something with 2004 and the hispanic yeah. vote yeah. uh remember there was like a huge influx of uh cubans coming over from cuba around that time in the early 2000s bush as well yeah. so initially bush would have won those hispanic votes because you know um cuban american bush won the hispanic vote when he was governor of texas he yeah, I know. Okay, it was that wasn't because of Cubans. That's because Bush, for example, had he did enterprise zones for minorities. Where yeah, but I'm talking about people. presidential. Remember, Florida was one of those biggest yeah, examples. But... Why it swung so quickly what, to uh, wait? No, hold on. It is oh, why I'm... it swung so quickly to Republicans from like as opposed to Bill Clinton, for example. 
the Dem- Republican Florida has always been a swing state. Florida has always been a swing state. I know. It was just one of those things. You know, the right-wing narrative about Florida seems to be that the Democrats had a lot grip on Florida and the Republicans, because of Cuban-Americans who hate communism, now to play. It's completely nonsense. You know, 2012, Obama won Florida. I think it was by 0.9% of the vote, 1% in 2008. You know, yeah. Bush obviously didn't win Florida in 2000. That's just, you know, anyone who denies that is not living reality. He didn't win Florida. Al Gore yeah. Yeah, can I just uh, point out, I've got some statistics for some, uh, so about Florida, and it just shows like the yeah. it, the whole immigration sort of, uh, what do you call it, influence. So uh, Bill Clinton uh, won Florida in 1996, so obviously last time he won it, uh, 48% uh, compared to Bob Dole's 42%. Move on to 2000, now you see this swing, it goes 48% Bush, uh, I'm not going to go into decimals, but at 48%, Al Gore too, but super close, um, as we all know. Al Gore won Florida. Yeah, yeah. And then, but hold on, here's the next bit. Uh, In 2004, Bush got 52% of Florida. So that is, it just shows you that influx but, of um, immigrated votes coming from No, no, Cuba. that's not because of Cubans. Okay, 2000s possibly because of Cubans, because of Elian Gonzalez, that kid who was uh, deployed back to Cuba with a complete police kerfuffle. I think another of bit was state immigration too. Partially, sorry, state migration. Partially, but look, let's go back to 96, right? 96, Clinton won in 92 because of Ross Perot. He won in, in Florida because of Ross Perot, right? Had Ross Perot not stood, it is very, very likely Bob Dole probably would have become president of George Bush, 92, 96, respectively, okay? Now, yeah. 2000, that was because Jeb Bush had voters being intimidated at the polls, had knocked nearly 20,000 African Americans off the voter rolls, and had basically rigged the election, which he did. Now, 2004, that's an interesting one, actually. 2004 was because of Cubans, quite because of minority enterprise, quite, but also because there was a national security election and Republicans, of course, do very well in national security. I mean, you agree that, James, don't yeah. you? When, it's, when it becomes a foreign policy election for the Republicans, the Republicans will yeah. always do well. But when it's a, dem- yeah. a, dem- a, dem- a domestic election, Medicare, Medicaid, education, then the Democrats will always do well. Absolutely. That is, that is absolutely correct. Sorry for interrupting interrupt you, James. <laughs> 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 um, anyway, yeah, um, uh, so... I think, I think, I think the issue is is that um, when, when when it comes to foreign policy, I mean the Republicans have seen themselves as harsh, tough, t- tougher for fight terrorism abroad, get a uh, screw screw yeah. screw immigration, all that, screw all them, that, screw all them. that nonsense. Yeah, yeah. quite. Yeah, but um, and and so so if something bad happens abroad, yeah. or something or something bad from abroad comes over here, they go, well, we 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 we've been fighting against this. The Democrats haven't. So we we should be the people who should be taken into the next election and uh, help help work it over. Mm. But um, when it comes to domestic policies, I think I think even Republicans could agree that I mean the Democrats have better domestic policies than the Republicans. Yeah. What's their idea for healthcare? Stay, everyone buy insurance across the state lines. That's it. Their, their, their idea for healthcare, Dad, is not to have. Oh, a we're going to talk about Medicare. We're going to talk about Medicare now, which is that yeah, President Biden's proposed in a massive expansion of the Medicare Medicaid program. Medicare costs for everyone above 65, Medicaid for everyone who's uh, poor. And this is in the long history of the Medicare Medicaid debate. When it started, it was meant to be for the poor and the elderly. Nixon wanted to federalize the benefits so the government could basically give them more effectively to the poor. Gerald Ford wanted to expand the schemes, also cover the catastrophic clauses and provide some form of universal health care private insurance. Jimmy Carter wanted 
uh, expand Medicare and Medicaid, but provide more private insurance necessary and cover the catastrophic illnesses. Reagan did nothing. Bush did nothing. Clinton wanted uh, the Health Security Express card where everyone could go into hospital and say, this is my Health Security Express card. You will now give me health care for free, which is, you know, interesting. Yes. Uh, Bush, uh, pri- tried to pri- 43 now, tried to privatise Medicare with the Medicare Modernization Act, which is basically saying, let's get everyone on Medicare slowly onto private plans. Barack Obama did the Cost of the Affordable Care Act, which gave 23 million Americans health insurance. So that was butchered. And Mr. Trump has done nothing. So how is it we've gone on the issue of Medicare, for example, from the 70s, when you had Republican senators like Jacob Javits, when you had Nelson Rockefeller, when you had Jerry Ford, actually, saying we do need a form of a universal health insurance health care program. Oh, yeah. So, to now, where it seems to be Republicans saying, let them die, we need a free market, and Democrats saying, we need to destroy the market and have complete government takeover. So how, so James, I'll come to you first, and I'll come to Michael second, but how has the debate gone from sensible compromises to the extremes with Medicare, and is there a solution to Medicare and Medicaid? Uh, Two words, Donald Trump is is the basic... I mean, I mean, come on, come on. It, 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 it's, it's quite, it's quite clear. It's quite clearly set, stated multiple times on record, off record, that that he is absolutely against Medicare, and Medicaid, and and I feel, and I feel, and I, and I, feel, and I, feel, I think a major issue of why, of why all of this has become so serious, like get rid of it or make it completely federalized instead of marginal compromises, is because it's because over the periods they have let, they have let the. Um, they let the me- the medicine lobby and all the farm uh, mm-hmm. the pharmaceutical lobby become too powerful. They've, wow. they've left it. They, they haven't restricted it. They've they left it become too powerful. And and as you know, it's pretty much impossible in America to get rid of a powerful lobby because because in America they have those stupidly things. They have those stupidly extraordinary um, um, uh, money that they get put into uh, campaigns and Half so a on. billion dollars for Hillary Clinton. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I mean, yeah, this country isn't it limited to thirty grand or something like that, isn't it? Yeah. So I mean, yeah. we don't have. We don't have that issue no. in this country compared to America, where, where they say, "Oh, well, the, ph- the pharmaceutical lobby gives billions of pounds to uh, giving billions of pounds to Republicans." The Republicans say, "Oh, we need to keep the pharmaceutical industry, make everything private, so so let's the yeah. pharmaceutical earn more more and give us more money." However, and then the Democrats say, "Well, what, yeah. they're giving money. Let's cut them off so they can't give any more money to the give any more money to the Republicans." Cool. And that, 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 that's a major. It's just the lobbying is the issue. It's not. It's not. I think. I think no matter who you are. I don't. I don't think anybody in the in the world genuinely believes that privatized healthcare, making poor people pay to stay alive, is a good idea. Yeah, I genuinely do not believe that for a second. Yeah, even even yeah. even like the absolute outspoken people who say, "Oh yes, yes, it is." They do deep down they believe that is completely. I'm wrong. sure. I'm sure Milton Friedman will rise from the grave and lecture you on why we must have more markets. But I no, I yeah, but, yeah. but I, I genuinely. I feel, I, feel, I, feel, I feel like it's, it's an unwritten rule in human rights that should people should have access to health uh, to free healthcare. And right. I think, and 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 I, think, and I think what the issue is is that is that what it's become instead instead of saving people in America, like, instead of America like, saving people, give uh, make sure people can live as long as possible. It's become they're getting loads of money. Why can't we get this money? Cut their money supply. That's just what it's become for the Democrats. And the, and the Republicans are saying, they're giving us money. Make sure they can keep giving us money. That's what the Republicans are And so, so the Democrats come in and then introduce anti-legislation laws or, uh, to, to, to increase Medicare, increase Medicaid, and decrease the pharmaceutical uh, lobby's powers. 
and then the Republicans come in and completely get rid of it. Yeah. And it's like an eight-year cycle that's happening every single time. The thing is, Frank Luntz, who's a Republican pollster and an absolute genius on language, has been very fascinating to me, which is that if Barack Obama in 2010, when he did the Affordable Care Act launch, right, if he changed one word from his message, he called it universal health care, Obama did, and Luntz said if he changed one word, which was insurance, if he called the scheme universal health insurance reform, health insurance reform, he said that's the Obama's health care initiative would have passed rapidly because he says there's a fear in America of people believing that the government will take over their doctor, take over their medicine, which is called complete nonsense. It's nonsense. Yeah. But I'm not, I'm not defending it. But I think that the well, what is the solution for Medicare? Because the Medicare trust fund is going to go broke in four years' time. Medicaid is going to go broke in three years' time. And when it does, we're going to see nearly 50, 60 million Americans in a crisis. Yeah. So what's the solution? I'll come to you, my and, no way. And I think I think I think the solution is is genuinely just to is just to show show people as it is. Show show show, show people well, it's it's universal not, health coverage. Is it basically exactly, it is not normal in any other country. It's not normal in any other country for people to pay the I mean in Germany in Germany they have a form of Medicare Medicaid, but I mean it's so much more accessible. I mean you're basically it's not paying anything. The wealthy get yeah. the poor it, get public. Okay. Exactly, and then and then it's um it's the same in France. But I mean, in Britain, in Britain, we have NHS, and even the richest of people go to the NHS because it's a good system. I mean, there's, there's obviously there's obviously really rich people who go off. Well, I don't want to waste like too Gore, Right? There are people like Al Gore and Hillary Clinton who are Democrats, and they'd argue this: yeah. universal health care, the NHS star system, is the end goal. But the idea they could go from and I'm talking about America here. I mean, in Britain, obviously, the NHS is a fundamental force for good. Yeah. Anyone who wants to sell it off needs to go and look, have a very long look in the mirror. But they'd argue, how do you go from the current system we have to the NHS in one fell swoop? They'd say, if you look at Britain, for example, now in Britain, um, Lloyd George in 1911 brought in universal health insurance. And 37 years later, they phased it into the National Health Service done by the Labour yeah. government. So they'd say, if we started with a stepping stone, for example, expanding Medicare for anyone uh, 65 and disabled, Medicaid for anyone below $50,000, and have public and private insurance in the middle, then maybe that would be a way of them building on to the universal health care program that we need. I think I think there's a simple way to do it. Is to is to say if you're if you're over sixty five or retired, immediately free healthcare. Yes. If, if you're disabled, immediately free healthcare. Yes. And then and then you go if you if you if you earn below this certain wage, I don't know what's uh, below below the average wage in America. Forty thousand dollars. Forty thousand dollars. That's two thirds yeah. of the average. Two thirds. Okay, of the so. If we say you'll earn below forty five dollars immediately free healthcare. Yeah. So it's the it's the rich people, or of course, uh, who won't get free healthcare. The and then, yes. Yeah. And then and then and then you build it up. You say you earn less than fifty thousand dollars. Like every like two years, you earn less than fifty thousand dollars immediately free healthcare. Earn less than sixty thousand dollars immediately free healthcare, and so on and so on and so on. You Would you I mean? nationalise the practices of doctors and medicine then? Would you start nationalising surgeries like we do in this country? I mean, in this country, it should be all doctors I mean, NHS owned. So would you do that? I would absolutely do. Yeah. I don't. I don't think I at all. I mean, there's there's um there, there, there was this thing that I saw from a doctor on a, on an article that said um there's patients coming in to the, his surgery. A doctor who's done he's done ten years of training, more even possibly even more than ten years of training, thousands of hours of studying, and somebody coming and saying, "I want this pill because I saw it on TV," and it, and it's and it's really and it's like these doctors these doctors have to can't can't and then the doctors have to phone the insurance company saying uh. I want to give my patient this drug, and they say, so, so, "Sorry, we can't give them that drug. That that, that won't be available. Can you give them this drug instead." And then they say, "Well, no, because that's not the drug the only that we need." With insurance companies, the solution is to put a law in saying threefold. First law, they have to cover everything. 
everything. The, the words yeah. we can't cover this will be a criminal offence to state the words of an insurance company. Secondly, it should be indexed, all insurance premiums should be indexed to 15% of the average earnings. Because right now, as I said before, that you know, the average American family is paying nearly half of their post-tax earnings into health coverage. And thirdly, we've got to cap the cost of hospital because there's a case in Ohio, I remember, where it's nearly $2,000 a night to stay in a hospital. But Michael, you remember that. But what do you think, Michael, yeah. is the solution for this? Is it public-private whilst expanding Medicare and Medicaid? Is it universal health insurance and leading to universal health care? Or is it a sort of state lines hmm. markets what do we need which one of the three do we need it's it's very difficult because in america they're in so much debt and they've dug themselves a humongous hole that this needs to be done super carefully hmm. um it should go like this so obamacare was definitely one step i mean that's yeah. probably one of the biggest steps actually i think that skipped of quite a few steps universal insurance However, that's, uh, yeah, that's not a bad idea. I think what should happen, though, initially with universal insurance, it should be um, like executed by the states mm. first rather than federal, just to help with spending and national debt. And then as soon as you're getting more stable, I guess it can become federal. Then, well, I, in, in, my friend, um, John McCain, who we both admire, and I think, James, do you mind John McCain? I'm, I'm okay with him. I'm 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 we all admire. We love John McCain. Yeah. When yeah. he was in 2007, before he was running for president, he had his own health coverage plan, which basically said the gold units insurance, we're going to expand Medicare, expand Medicaid. It was a Nixon plan, it was the old Nixon plan, and yeah. have public government run insurance with private run insurance at one at the same time. That way, we don't rack up huge debts, but we still ensure that every single poor basically get it for free. Yeah, that and there should be like subsidy as well that goes into some private insurance mm. from the government to like ensure that they can, no pun intended, ensure that they can actually give people insurance. Obviously, I think that would be not such a bad idea and it might actually do um, a lot of favours, especially at like a set cost. If they like subsidise it for like a set cost, the government's like, okay, you're charging 15,000 a year. I'm not giving accurate numbers. It's just a quick example. You're charging 15,000 a year. We're going to subsidise you so you start charging 12,000 a year. Let's let's do that. But it's like um, another thing is, so I just want to go to the next step. The next step could be after the um sort of universal insurance is to have a public option yes to then start doing a public option that however should be uh i think money should be given to the states to sort of, uh, out you know where hospitals are built and all that and how not how it's going to operate because that'll be down to the government but you know um where it's going to be and with that so they can get that sorted a lot faster rather than the federal government uh, sorting that out first and then you can then it's quite textbook now you're just going to look at england or the whole of the uk and just be like right okay so we've now done this um we've given states these uh or this amount of money to put hospitals here and here and here um let's start now as well launch a campaign or more of some sort of encouragement to get a lot of people on the public option who are in need of it don't you think the part of it is that the american medical association must be destroyed 
because James made a brilliant point before, actually, which is that because the because there's no campaign finance in America, right? There's no real yeah. campaign finance reform. The Democrats are totally in hock to the abortion lobby, the AFL-CIO, the unions, and um, most uh, social welfare schemes like education, the health unions, etc. And the Republicans, they're locked into the National Rifle Association, the, medical me- the American Medical Association, to an extent the right-wing elements of the American Bar Association, and therefore the Republicans will never move on universal health care because the AMA will say, don't you dare, because most of our doctors will see their pay reduced. So do you think, it, will, it, will it either take, honestly, will it take a Democratic Congress in the style of the 60s and 30s, where it was basically Democrat super majorities, is that what it's going to take? Or do you, yeah. think, do you think there's a future for yeah. Republicans to actually do something? So we can get the, Re- the Republicans won't much. Yeah, unless you see so many more fresh faces um, that are becoming moderate, which I'm going to doubt, they're not going to move a damn inch. The thing is that the Democrats, right, this is what I'm predicting in a minute, and it's so frustrating. It's going to be just you know like what do you call it deadlocked republican democrat republican democrat it's like at the minute it's basically a deadlocked senate it's so like you've got joe manchin and kirsten cinema who were t- two stupids mm-hmm. um who can't make their mind up joe manchin for example doesn't have any personal values he keeps changing his mind on everything oh come Kirsten's... on that's nonsense that's nonsense no, he always joe changes manchin. his mind no, no no i'll tell you why joe manchin and i don't particularly have fondness for him because he's gutting the bill. But Joe Manchin is the last Southern Democrat. Right? I know. This is we used to have to deal with these numpsies, Michael, and the Democrats had to sell people like Dale Bumpers, Robert Seabird, people like um oh bugger the guy's name's gone. Uh, Richard Shelby, that's the one, you know, people like um, you know, these people, we've had to deal with them. We've had to deal with Southern Democrats all the time trying to gut the bills. People like Erskine Balls, etc. I know. But so, it's like so why is Joe Manchin to blame when he's just feel when he's just following the culture of Southern Democrats? Well, it's not like he's to blame. I just don't particularly favour him. Yeah, fair enough. It's just my opinion on him. I don't favour him. Well, I think what he's doing is just sure it's following the culture of West Virginia, for example. But the I know uh, you've got so many Republicans just representing their states as well as Democrats as well. But it's like, come on, uh, at least negotiate a little bit better because I'm seeing a lot of 60-40 towards Joe Manchin on these bills and it's getting on my nerves. Do you think the issue is, and I'll come to you, James, as well as Michael, that we have in our politics for our issues such awful communicators, right? The idea that... When Lyndon Johnson, Hubert Humphrey, Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton, Bill Clinton was, Al Gore was, John Kerry Lord Barack Obama was, the face of universal health coverage, and Bernie Sanders as well. The idea that's now been taken over by the squad, who do not understand these issues very well, who are just getting their issues from social media, and then the idea that the case for markets is being made by a, basically a bunch of right-wing loony bins in the name of Dan Tom Cotton, in the names of people like... I mean, Liz Cheney is now a moderate. Just think about that. that Liz, the, the politics in America is so messed up that Dick Cheney's daughter is now considered to be reasonable. 
Now that actually, that, I think that's the issue. I think we'll have campaign finance reform. I think what the issue is, and I'll ask you, James, about this. Do you think state funding is the way to go? That for every one vote a party gets in election time, they should get $3. And in Britain, it should be one vote for £3. That if the government funds the campaign sufficiently, that we should do it, like Bob Dole said, an independent commission, take it out of politics and implement the report. If we have state funding or real campaign finance reform, then we can actually get health and education passed much quicker. Uh, what are you covered to me first? Sorry. James. Now go James. Go. Also, I'll probably go to Michael. Can you repeat the question, Darius? Okay. Okay, so the issue is Democrats are in hock to the AFL CIO, the abortion lobby, the you know, the social liberalism. And the Republicans yeah. are in hock to the National Rights Association, the American Medical Association, the right wing of the American Bar Association. That if we have state funding of election campaigns, one vote equals three dollars in Britain, one vote equals three pounds, same for the local parties. Then that way they'll have enough funds, the DNC will for every annual payment, that they won't be able to rely on the lobbyists and therefore they can actually make decisions on their own conscience, not being funded in the next election cycle. Yeah, I, I feel that, that that's a good solution. That um, that that um, that that, that you, have, you have votes equal uh, amounts of money that you get paid yeah. per election. Uh, but I feel I, I I think it needs to be even stricter than that because I feel like they'll get away around it. I, I think I think it needs to be unbelievably strict. I think I think it needs I to be as strict as as strict as Britain has. I mean, um, yeah. I, I, I saw this interview the other day. Donators. You still got private donations in Britain. I mean, you've got Lord Ashcroft, bankrolling Tory party. You got the TUC bankrolling. Well, these, these, these private donations, these private donations go to the Tory party. Yeah, correct. Hmm. And, and so the union money goes to the Labour party. Yeah, yeah. but they physically, unlegally, can't spend more in an election campaign than is permitted to them. You see what I mean? That's true. Yeah, that's true. Um, and and, 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 and I, I remember this interview I watched the other day with David Cameron, who was on an American late night TV show. And, uh, and 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 he was asked the, it was asked the question and it was asked the question how much did it cost to campaign he said and David Cameron said when I when I was uh, when I was campaigning to become the leader of the Conservative Party it cost me a hundred and fifty thousand mm. pounds and compared to that to the billions of pounds that happens in America it is absolutely nothing I mean and and, and then um, and then the interviewer said something like one hundred fifty five we spend billions of pounds anyway and we spend billions of pounds just, just to let Donald Trump it means it's not. It's not the solution it to reform the costs of TV advertising because yeah. after election debt and to air and add it's nearly two three million dollars in America to air one ad on television. I think that's an extortionate rate. So we've got I to think, like that. I, I, I genuinely think in America a way to stop this lobbying, no, to stop all of this, is to completely ban adver- uh, political advertising. And I, I think that's a major way because that's where they spend most of the money, isn't it? On political advertising. Ban political advertising. We, we've banned it. No, we've not banned it. You still have party political broadcasts on the television. Look, look, that political advertising. No, no, no. There's certain words that they're not allowed to use and certain things that aren't allowed to... It isn't political because all the parties, they don't have to pay any money for it. All the parties do it. And all the parties have the same amount of airtime no matter what length of the party is. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. I agree with the same airtime. I think that was one of Ross Perot's campaign suggestions. And I like Ross, you know, that all parties have the same airtime coverage. 
But he also made a good point that we should make TV that much cheaper. I think if we do that, then first of all, parties can put longer ads on the air, which means people can be more sufficiently involved around some 30-second clip out of the American flag. And secondly, people will raise less money. I think that's too central. The fact that we have to go to lobbyists and I think, but I also think we've got to do, and I'm talking about this, James. Mike, what do you think about this idea that if we, for example, banned all lobbying from elected officials after five years? So let's say you've in Britain, use the British context, okay? You've been an MP. When you stop being an MP, you cannot lobby for a company for 20, for at least five years. And you can't lobby for a foreign corporation for 10 years. So if we cut the lobbying links from the word go, then that way politicians will be far more authentic in their reasoning rather than thinking, I want a seat on the board. Well, sure. Yeah, we could do that. But do you want to know one big thing that we're missing about communication that I think that lessons can be learned from? And do you know what? It could be a huge opportunity for others, Democrats, Republicans, whatever, just to win. Yeah, right. Yeah. No, no one's going to like this, but you're going to see where I'm going. And I think Go I've on. talked to you about this before. So probably one of the perfect examples of like probably one of the best speakers recently is Donald Trump. Forget oh. content. No, he Just isn't. Listen, this is the problem. <laughs> you're going to say this. I've talked to you about this before. Oh. Right. Okay. So he, the content, you don't, no one likes it, whatever. But the way he speaks, few examples. Instead of saying legislation, he says law. I mean, come on. That's going to, more people will understand the word law than legislation, especially more uh, people who just can't get an education and they might know what the law means, you know, about breaking the law, not breaking the law, you know, simple stuff. But then no one talks about legislation. Why have politicians, this, you see, now you touched on a very good topic, which is why have politicians seem to dumb down the debate so much? Why can't we explain what the word legislation means? You know what it means. James knows what it means. I know what it means. Why can't we explain what a legislative bill is? Why have we seemed to dumb down the election? I'll tell you. I'll tell you, you just don't go to a rally and you go make a speech and say, I'm going to impose new legislation, which is a type of bill that I'm going to have to write that gets passed through the Congress. And all. You know, no one's going to do that. It's, no one's going to take their time to do that, man. More people, you got to speak what more people will understand. Laws, <laughs> like... Be th- thick. What? You mean be thick? D- no, it doesn't... It, d- d- saying that doesn't mean you're thick. It does. You're basically saying... It doesn't. No, no, because you're saying that... You're saying that people don't understand the word legislation, listen to the word law. Now, law is true, I get that. But what's to stop them from going home and Googling the word legislation? What's to stop them? Nothing, but they will because yeah, but, no, nobody cares yeah. that much about a word. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. That's the thing. But, Dow, this, is, this is the thing. How do, else do you think Donald Trump got 74 million votes in 2020? That is a huge... Michael, he didn't get 74 million votes for saying the word law. No, no, <laughs> no. It, okay, this this is like nitpicking a bit. I'm trying to make a point here. Just listen. Mine right. 83 million, so I'll put that on the record. Yeah, I know, exactly. 
because a lot of people thought this is the thing. 83 million people, not, not all the 83 million people, like you probably most of those, like I don't know, like 70 million of them uh, just like Biden. But then you got 13 million who are like, it's not Trump. The thing is with Trump, the way that he does these big rallies and all that, he speaks simply, he gets to the point, and uh, whether it's a bad point, good point, whatever, Did it doesn't matter. Simply. Said, oh no, she spoke stupid. Oh, I can okay. get on to that in a minute. There's a very okay. big difference. I'm going to tell you the difference in a minute. Right. So, Donald Trump, for example, he could rally people because he just says stuff that's thought provoking. He's not dumb, remember? He's oh, very yeah. smart. He knows what he's doing. This is what he's doing. He's like, okay. There are a lot of people in uh, a lot of poorer areas. Uh, and remember, he got a lot of poorer votes. Sure, he didn't get he most did. of the poorer no, votes, but he got a lot of poorer votes. First Republican to win the working class. Yeah, exactly. Reagan, yeah. He didn't win, obviously, the sub-working, but he did win the working class. And it's like, that, for a Republican to win the working class, that is an insane achievement. Oh, it is. It's it an is. absolutely that's, insane achievement. That's the issue of the Democrats, in a way, the Tom Levine's communication, that the Democratic Party, since Clinton, and I, you know I adore Bill Clinton, but since oh, Clinton, yeah. they've, they've used also about the middle class, the middle class people, middle class families, without realising it was the working class, which gave yeah. Franklin Roosevelt four terms, they gave Jack Kennedy, Lyndon Johnson a two yes. terms, they gave Jimmy Carter a term, and if the Democrats had made just half of the effort going on to the working class community, talking about health, education, which, by the way, the working class would vote for them on. Yeah. The, the, the Democratic Party issues on the domestic terms, on now, the domestic issues, yeah. are aligned to the working class. So do you think Let me tell you... Th- Hold on a minute. I just I just want to say this as well. Here's some epic comparisons, right? And I literally mean they're epic because this shows you. Yeah. FDR spoke pretty simply. He did. He spoke on the radio every night. Na- well, five, five a lot. Every, what was it? How, every week? Yeah. Something like that. I saw um, chats they were called. Yeah, exactly. Uh, LBJ spoke mm-hmm. very, very simply. Mm-hmm. I mean, for goodness sake, he would be... He'd, he'd just cut to the chase really mm-hmm. quickly that's the thing you've got other people who speak simply Clinton's reagan spoke simply and he was a comedian as well you want to put you that on top actor, of it you mean you what an actor not a comedian michael he wasn't a comedian no well sure he wasn't a comedian but he, but he had comedians writing for him but Ray- yeah remember comedians wrote for him for his jokes remember he, he was technically a comedian as a president he was not sure. a, yeah he was yeah comedian and that he was absolutely dreadful but um comedian he was reagan i think he, by simply you mean clearly because fdr spoke very clearly got to the point very clearly so did harry Truman. um so did general eisenhower to an extent kennedy didn't lbj definitely did i think nixon did in his early years i think that's a fair i think ford definitely did I think Nixon's probably one of the more complicated speakers. That's the thing. It's completely different. It's completely different between America and Britain. Because in America, in America, you, you're as president, you can say pretty much whatever you want, and you're not going to be ousted, are you? Yeah. But as but in Britain, in Britain, if if you're like the prime minister of your like of your like um, like a minister, you have to speak very carefully. You have oh, to yeah. plan your words. Absolutely, the point because you could be out of office the next day. Except you if really you're badly. Andy Burnham, because he's he he cuts every bit of like nonsense. He gets oh. straight to the point. He's a fantastic example because the thing is, yeah. he's careful, but he's really straightforward, which is what I like about it. But coming back to the point about community, sorry, I just 
I know UK, I'm drunk. Oh, northern God, so. politicians in the UK, northern politicians get to the chase much quicker than the southern. Oh God, yeah. I mean, Andy and Lisa yeah. Andy get much to the point quicker than Liz Truss or or Rishi Sunak do. That's just yeah, absolutely. There's absolutely no doubt about that. One hundred percent. Back to the states. Back to the states. Uh, yeah, back to the states. So uh, I know I'm dragging a bit, but this is the thing. The there's a lot of important. There's a lot of important points in talking right, about on. communications. It's all right. We've got, we've, got, we've got an hour and a half to do this. So this oh, that's fun. Oh, that's even better. Yeah, there's going to be no cut-off this week. So last week, I thought that maybe it's an hour long they're going to cut us off. It's not like this week. So you can we can keep going for a bit over an hour. Oh, that's brilliant. That's fantastic. Okay. Well, let me just let, let me say this as well. If more people, Democrats, Republican, spoke like not exactly like donald trump but took some tactics about how you uh like let's say uh convince voters you know you know when he does those short sentences it's like tremendous and like epic or brilliant or or the best something like that that's a way to convince people seriously the way to convince people is this right so let's go back to Medicare, for example. So let's say um, Bernie Sanders, great chap. Great. He's, Bernie Sanders is a good communicator. I'll give you he that. speaks pretty simply, too. Yeah. He's very good, actually. He's, He's like good. Trump for the Democrats. I think if Bernie had run in 2016, got the nomination, Bernie Sanders would be president right now. There's just, just no questioning it because a lot of those Trump voters would have gone for Bernie Sanders. They wanted an FU to the establishment and Bernie Sanders. Anyway, that's about Bernie Sanders. If their caucus had said quite simply what Medicare for all is, which is that right now, people on Medicare get healthcare for free. We want, over the next four years, to ensure that nobody has to pay high hospital bills, and Medicare does that. That's simple, but that's what's yeah. happening. Instead, they use a lot of conformative formula speak. It's like um, in 2009, when Labour were doing the report on how short start was effective, they said you can't use the word class you talk about yeah. socioeconomic factors and genetic disparities, but you couldn't use the word class. So in that one regard, I agree with you that if we just spoke the language everyone else was speaking, because everyone everyone uses the word class, that's a fact, rather than this pulse to speak, it'd be much better. Yeah. But the reason I'd argue Trump got 74 million votes and that, incidentally, the Republican Party for the last 20 years has never got more than half the vote. That's just a fact. Yeah, that, that's in the deep. So, but why is that? Why do you think that in 8, 12, 16, and 20, and in 2000 as well, actually, and 92, and, 90, and 96, the Republican Party haven't got more than half of the votes? Well, that's it. Do you know, it's a really, really interesting point. I, I can give you a few reasons for it. So, okay, one, it really does depend on like let's say policies being been done by whoever when it comes up to an election bill clinton for example the most jobs increase i mean come on it uh, you see how in 2000 al gore got the popular vote people uh, most people still supported the democrats obviously he he well there's a debate around i'm not going to go into that because it'll just we're not going to branch off into a different topic about you know who won 2000 i'd argue it was a clinton vote not a let me explain to you because i know no no that's what i'm saying that's what i'm getting on to but i had the house we wouldn't one vote and the people looked at the 23 million new jobs, the rising incomes, the rising incomes. Yeah, I know. We'll, we'll vote for that. We'll vote for Bill Clinton. 
He left with what a sixty-eight percent approval rating. That was remarkable. Yeah, I know. I, I, I mean, that's that's you just like th- that's my point exactly. You said it perfectly. I mean, but the thing is, coming to um, like Florida, for example. I mean, but I'm not going to go into that because we I don't. Want to, we sp- I don't want to spiral it off. We Look, wanted that. Um, and let's uh, give me just I'm not going to go through all of those elections that you name me, but pick one for me and I'll just give you like a well, 50% of the vote. Yeah, yeah, go on, give us one. I could give you 96, but you could just say Poirot. Uh, all right, yeah. 2012. Uh, 2012 was really interesting. This is the thing Romney's, it was Romney's fault. Uh, and the Republicans fought at the same time. I'm going to tell you why. Romney got manipulated so hard by the party and, and dropped a lot of his values. I mean, remember Massachusetts, Romney yes. care. I oh, see you yeah. nodding to everything with that. I, I, absolutely. Yes. Romney oh, care, where the hell did that go? I mean, obviously, he proposed Romney care, not in the <laughs> same way he did it in Massachusetts. But. Um, well, no, 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 not, not in the, not in 2012 yet. In 2012, you're going for sort of tax breaks and tax deductions in 2012. Oh, yeah, he was, sorry. Uh, I agree with that point that Mitt Romney, as governor of Massachusetts, did criminal justice reform long before Trump did it. He did healthcare reform long, yeah. he, the Teddy Kennedy version of the healthcare reform. Everybody, yes. built, he built a universal health insurance system. He practically uh, got rid of most private schools so we could fund the public schools. He ditched the vouchers. He reformed the inner cities through things like youth prevention programs. He was basically a a moderate to moderate to mild conservative Republican, or in some cases, moderate to moderately liberal centre. Yeah, and I'll tell you, this is the right. Why did they drag him to right? Because it's the same with John McCain. The exact same with John McCain. John McCain was practically a liberal Republican, like Romney was. And they made John McCain look like some right-wing conservative. He wasn't. I think it was because of the growing amount of conservatives in the House and the Senate. That's the thing. It, they, they didn't. I don't think they actually focused carefully on um, like the actual Republican voters because a lot of them were, uh, let's say, I'm not going to say they were moderate, but they would lean more to moderate than like Republican. Trumpism. Oh, yeah, most Republicans are moderate to conservative. The idea that there are 74 million racist, bigoted people in America, give me a break. Yeah, it's not, that's not true. It's that's... 2020. Okay, yes, there were some people who liked the rhetoric, but there were millions and millions of people who voted for Trump, right, who knew Trump was an idiot, who knew it. They hated, but they found it much easier to get a job and put food on the table than they did under Barack Obama. So they were willing to look over the stupidity of the man because his policies had given them a job. Yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously it's like, people's like, oh, compliment Trump. But to give him some credit, there was a growth in working class people for them to be able, because tax breaks, for them to be able to actually put food on tables. Hence why he won the working class vote. James, I will um, come to you, don't worry. Yes, sorry, James, just sorry. sitting there patiently. Sorry. Oh, you know, when I get when I get started, I keep going. I but it's like it, it, the quality of the compassion hold pies did dwindle so because let's go oh to God, yeah. 1996, yeah, yeah. it was Bob Dole, who, as you know, is one of my favorite Republicans. I yes. admire Bob Dole immensely because I've studied his backstory and yeah, he's not yeah. a Republican at all. There was Jack Kemp, who I also admire immensely. He's a tax-cutting Republican, but by God, he did a lot for the poor people in the inner cities. You had yeah. 
And then you got to 2000, you had George Bush, who was advocating some uh, one and a half trillion dollar tax cut, who was advocating for Anwar being drilled and most conservative ideas, who made Dick Cheney the vice president. Now, to the viewers not from American politics, I'll give you one little thing of Dick Cheney. In 1987, there was a vote to authorize free uh, meals being delivered to pensioners' homes who couldn't care for themselves. This is free meals for the pensioners. Dick Cheney was one of five people who thought that was a bad idea. Yes. That's who he's the vice president. And then with Bush not... Okay, let let me put it this way. Had Bob Dole been elected in 96, right, would the Republican Party be as conservative it was today? And had John McCain and Joe Lieberman, this is now saying after Bush, so had John McCain and Joe Lieberman become the president in 2008, I do not believe America would be half as divided as they are today. If McCain became president, Trump would have never been president. No, McCain would leave him. McCain would leave him. This is the key part, because I believe that a lot of the people who were energised by Sarah Palin ended up basically giving Donald Trump the boost he needed. Because yeah. Barack Obama became president in 2008, and as much as I like Barack Obama, the divisions enhanced. The divisions did not quite yeah. enhance. Yeah. And I do believe that if Joe, Joe Lieberman, who was a moderate Democrat, who was, by the way, supporting John McCain, and John McCain, the moderate Republican supported the presidency, then it had been very much a bipartisan unifying administration. And James, don't you think that, that with these domestic issues so about Medicare, Medicaid, we'll come on to Social Security in two seconds. But don't you think that the fact America's so divided at the moment, primarily because of Barack Obama and Donald Trump being elected, that's caused Barack Obama split the conservative wing, Donald Trump split the liberal wing, that it's now gridlock, as Michael said, we are in too much gridlock, and it's going to take something pretty radical like a Selma, Alabama, to get voting rights done, for instance. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're, de- we're definitely gridlock. I mean, it's like, like the o- the only way there's going to be a chance that that anything happens is something absolutely radical happens, Ra- radically conservative happens, radically liberal happens. Either way, that's the only chance something's going to happen. So there's there's not there's not going to be a way where the conservatives and the republicans can compromise anymore like they did like they did under Nixon, like they did under Ford, or like they did under Reagan or under Clinton. Yeah. They, they'll never compromise now. They've split themselves so far apart. They've split themselves so that. They call themselves opposite of each other. But realistically, there's not much difference in them if you look at the political spectrum. But they but they um they they built this philosophy that they're miles apart from everybody. They split a heart and they will not agree on anything. Even the most right wing of uh, um, Democrats will not even will barely very rarely agree with the most left wing of Republicans. It's yeah. they split they split themselves so so much that it is impossible to get anything through the Senate unless the party has a majority. And look Go on, and 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 does the does the Democrats control the Senate and the Republicans yeah. control Congress? Is that no, it? Yeah. Democrats have got a ten seat majority in the House, two hundred twenty two to two hundred thirteen. Repub- Democrats have basically got a 50-50 majority, 50, 50 Republicans, fifty Democrats in the House. But because Kamala Harris is the Vice President, she controls the Senate. So Democrats have got the Senate in the House. Yeah. With very okay, so 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 so, 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 so Democrats control both. Yeah, but with very slim okay. majorities. Yeah, but and then but then that, that's not useful for anything because most most of these things that they'll just say, oh no, um, we need we need we need we need a super majority, and then they go, well we can't, well not nothing's going to get through. This thing, there's nothing two, will no, get through. There's two analogies here, and Michael, I'll come to you on this, and I'll come to you, James, as one. Well. There's both of you, Ben. There's two uh, comparisons here. There's people like me who believe that 
when a president is in charge, say it's a Democrat in the White House, there should be a Republican House and a Democratic Senate. And because I believe that if you've got a liberal Democrat, a, Republic, a moderate Republican House and a moderate Democratic Senate, you're going to have a, a basically a deep people will be forced to work together. That will be bipartisanship. You know, I do believe, for example, had the Democrats control Congress under George W. Bush, be, they did in the final two years, they'd have been far more moderate. OK, but there are also people like people who sympathize with me who say, no, but isn't the solution to have a complete control of all three with big majorities? So the Democrats in the White House, there should be a Democrat House, a Democrat Senate, a, a liberal Supreme Court. So then the agenda would pass through more smoothly. So what's your view, James? And I'll come to you, Michael, then. What's your oh, view? Do you think it's a, that all three major powers of government should be controlled by the party in power? Or should it be more forced to work together through bipartisanship? I I think I think that there should be. I think I think they need to force three work together. Basically, is it FDR or Bill Clinton? <laughs> That's what we're I, asking, really. Yeah, well, I mean, they have there's an issue in America because like you always got states that vote Republican, you always got states that vote Democrat, and you can never get rid of them. Yeah, and unless 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 an FDR figure or a Ronald Reagan figure comes along who who they back behind and vote just for that. That's, yeah. It's never going to happen. So what needs to happen, what should happen, is that they should be forced to work together. They, mm. they need to they need to work together. Not 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 for the better of their political gains. Not 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 because they might get an extra five votes. Not 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 because they might uh, stay in the Senate for an extra ten years. Because it's the benefit for their country. And I, and I think if you ask Americans, Americans are very proud people. And yeah. I don't think anybody can do that. They, 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 they're one of the proudest nations I know. And if you and if and what they're doing now, their government, the, the American government, the American Senate, the American Congress are doing nothing. I mean, how, I don't, I don't know how many laws have been passed. But I've, 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 I've there aren't passed, but the biggest bill that was passed was infrastructure. Really, it was the one half trillion. Infrastructure. Was, was, was that the trillion dollar infrastructure no, that, yeah. that they passed? Yeah. That I mean, and the only reason that passed is because I mean, there's nothing really to argue against. The Democrat. <laughs> what do you mean you object to building roads? What's wrong with you? They, they can't argue against that. So, exactly. so but, but your government can't function on just passing laws that people can't argue against. They can't just go, uh, this what, is fine. Do we... you believe in the battle of ideas then? That we should yeah, be forcing just... people to to debate, you know, centre-left social democracy, centre-socialism yeah. versus compassionate capitalism and, and real capitalism. Is that what we're talking about here? Battle of ideas. Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's, there's a major issue in the... And the American government. That's basically that the Americans will, ref the Democrats and the Republicans will refuse to work together, and they need to work together. They, yeah. they, they, they won't work together on any minor. They, 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 they the just completely. Politicians have decreased because sorry, right? Because the quality of the politicians have gone down. We used yeah, to days in the 1960s, right? and I'm going to do a little bit of historical here. Uh, Michael, if you're still here, you'll know about this. When LBJ yes. was president, right? Everett Dirksen, who was the Senate Majority Leader for the Republicans, Minority Leader for the Republicans, used to call up the Jack Bowers, the head of the White, of the White House Chief of Staff, and said, you know, Jack, I need to see the President. Okay, he said, okay, Senator, I'll see you at nine o'clock this evening. He would then go on the Senate floor and say, Lyndon Johnson is a war criminal, he's a disgrace to the nation, he's a cretin, he's a yeah. all things you can use him on, right? Nine o'clock, he'd go upstairs, shake hands with the President, and he and LBJ go, Everett, you were saying some bad things on it. He goes, oh, Mr. President, it's the job. And then they sit back, recount a few battles, and then LBJ was going, now, Everett, I have my Medicare bill for enhancing Medicare. I need three Republican votes. 
And Everett would say, well, Mr. President, here I have three Repub ideal chaps on the Ninth Circuit on the Supreme of the U.S. District Court, and we need to get them on the court. And, and LBJ would say, well, you, you give them to them over there, and we'll get them sorted, and we'll get the votes. And that way, Dirksen would get his people on the court, and LBJ would get Medicare passed. Same with uh, Ronald Reagan. When everyone says that Reagan was this uh, champion of Republican purity, no, he wasn't. Jim Baker was known as Mr. Compromiser. He never let us, Michael, you know about this. So James Baker was Mr. Compromiser. There was not yeah. one senator's phone call, not one congressman's phone call that would go unreturned. He would deal with people all the time and obviously a lot of reagan's reforms whether it was the tax economic recovery act, the tax cut bill or the military spending or grenada or um social security 1983 these were bipartisan reforms bill clinton okay clinton in his second term did some very silly things welfare reform uh glass steagall being repealed but in the first term throughout eight years bill clinton was always reaching out to republicans and democrats now yeah now, since then, okay, Bush talked about Republicans and Democrats, but he didn't really do anything with the bipartisanship. Obama tried. Obama didn't do anything on bipartisanship, and Trump did criminal justice reform, but that was it, really. So the decline of politicians, I'd argue, James, is led to the decline in bipartisanship. Yeah. I think, I think, I think there's been a major decline in what's acceptable in politicians. I mean, I mean Donald Trump's an Donald Trump's a major example of that. He was the most powerful mm. man in the world, and and he and, and he was considered he was considered he was considered acceptable by half the American public. It's um, there, there's but the thing the thing that the thing that's the issue is that all right, Americans well, past the hour limit, so we can just keep going. Viewers, okay. thank you for listening, but keep listening to more. Keep going. Um, the the, the thing the thing is with the Americans is that is that they they haven't noticed because it's been it's been a gradual shift between the decency and their politicians. I mean, I mean, oh, I sorry. mean, it's just uh, just clarify to the listeners of this podcast. The podcast has not stopped yet. We're going to keep going for as long as it takes. We're not going to bore you to death. So don't leave. Don't leave, please. Right, keep going, James. Uh, <laughs> clarify. Uh, anyway, so there was. I keep going. It's been, it's been a gradual change. I mean, you, you can in many of you look through now and you just see you see where they were in the nineteen fifties and where they are now. You see a major change. But I mean, over the time, you haven't really seen much. It might have been, oh, he does, he does a, he does a little stupid speech over here. He, he might, he, 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 he might accept more donations than he should, and then, and it go, and then, and then occasionally it just adds up all together to be acceptable because yeah. they do it gradually. Yeah. And the, what do you think we need? Is, sorry, go on, go on. And, and and what needs to happen? Really, what needs to happen is that there needs to be a serious in-depth review on the accountability. The, um, the the morals of all these politicians, where, whether it's done by an independent reviewer, whether it's even done by the press. I know the press aren't very just worthy in America, but but there needs to be someone. There needs to be someone who does yeah. something and says, "Lisa promised that he hasn't delivered. He's promised that he hasn't delivered. He's promised that he has delivered. He's voted that every single time. May may uh, she she she's delivered on her promises as well. He hasn't delivered his promises." She's uh, and then and then she, she she's accepted too much money and she hasn't done anything with it. There should there should be constant there should be constant listening and constant constant understanding of what of what these uh, what what the politicians are doing in America. I think, I think three, go on. No, you can go on, Dad. I think there are three solutions to this, and I think James made a lot of good points today. It's three things, and Michael Nasky to assess these. The first is all politicians should do town halls. I think when the Democrats stopped doing the town halls. 
they stopped listening to what people thought. When they brought police into the town halls, they shut down dissenting views. That's a disgrace. You should always listen to views you disagree with so you can strengthen your own argument. Secondly, I think we need more blue state Republicans and red state Democrats. So, for example, um, California, which is a well-known liberal democratic state, or Connecticut, a liberal on both sides of the different ends of the American coast, Democrats for nearly, well, Connecticut's had Democrats now for nearly 40 years. Democrats have gone California now for nearly 30 years. If they'd gone for one Republican each, liberal, they'd be liberal Republicans, like Olympia Snow in Maine, like Arlen Specter in Pennsylvania, liberals. If, you know, if, if Republicans, Dem Democrats in the South, if we had people from Arkansas, people from Texas, people from Tennessee or North Carolina, taking those seats, then Democrats, they were nothing more conservative. So therefore, you'd have moderate Democrats, moderate Republicans. So, is, and the third part of my solution is, I think we should ditch echo chambers. That's the that's part. I think social media, the fact you have your own views constantly reinforced, is a huge part of it. I think we need to have a, yeah. as James said, a huge battle of ideas. We should listen to all views, and because our views, you know, central left views, are fundamentally good, but there are flaws in it. There are some centre right views which are very, very good. But there are some very fundamental flaws in it. And it's that debate we have. So don't you think of those three ideas, Michael, that more town halls, we need them. We need blue state Demo Republicans, red state Democrats, and to stop echo chambers. I think the town halls is probably one of the most important things because mm. you, you do it everywhere, by the way, every in many places as you can. It's probably one of the best things you could do as well. You're getting questioned, you're giving policies out, well, policy ideas out as well. And, you know, you're explaining your policies as well as, you know, let's say a polarizing question comes out, oh, someone on the Supreme Court's died, oh, who are you going to replace them with them? What ideas oh my do you God. plan they have? Something like that. Yes. You've got one coming yes. up at the minute. Is that No, you just highlighted the perfect example. James, I'm going to tell you this because it's the perfect example. You may not know, I'm not talking about this, right? In 1986, right, before 1980s, before eight, the 80s, right, Supreme Court nominees were not voted on. The President of the United States, actually, no, before Nixon, this is before Fortis and before Rehnquist, but before Nixon, really, the President would put forward a name and everyone would just vote him through because yeah. it was the competence and qualified, right? 1986, and you know, you've heard of Scalia? Okay, he was the most conservative justice in the United States Supreme Court, and I mean the most conservative justice. This is the man, James, who thinks Brown versus the Board of Education, which desegregated the Southern schools, was unconstitutional. Who thinks Roe versus Wade, was un which gave the women the right to abortion, was unconstitutional. Who thinks that he thinks TV cameras are unconstitutional because the founders didn't have them, as he says. The f what that we only believe in what the framers had in mind, which is. Mental human being, but you know how much in 1986 Ronald Reagan put uh, Scalia forward. Yes, you know what his confirmed vote was Matt James 98 no. to nothing in a Senate. There was 53 47 Republican, he was confirmed 98 to nothing. Why? Because he's the last person we choose, but he's qualified, competent, and capable. Now, yeah. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who's, of course, the liberal heroine of all that's sane in the world, and, you know, being a liberal and having good ideas, she was confirmed 96 to 3. 39 Republicans voted for the most liberal justice since Thurgood Marshall. Now, that was in days where the Supreme Court battle was, is the nominee 
competent and capable, right? Yes. Scalia is a lunatic. I've said this on my Instagram story. He's a lunatic. But how can you say he's not competent and qualified? You can't. But then when Robert Bork... Probably one of the most qualified, actually. Oh, yeah, by a mile. Scalia is one of the finest intellectual minds, even though he talks utter nonsense. Yes. Bork, Robert Bork, you know Robert Bork, don't you, Michael? Yes, he yes. Everything. He, he was nutty. Ev- well, he was nutty, but he was an intellectual. Yes. And that's the thing, right? Robert Bork, in 87, James, Ron, uh, I can't remember. I think it was Justice... Uh, oh, I can't remember who it was. I think it was Justice Blackman. He died. And Reagan put Robert Bork to the court. He was a very conservative. And, and I mean... All right, I'll tell you one of his most iconic rulings. Griswold versus Connecticut said that married couples could use contraception. Robert Bork said that was unconstitutional. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're dealing with here. And because he was going to flip the balance of the court, so the court would become more conservative for the first time in nearly uh, 65 years, Ted Kennedy gave it Robert Bork's America's land where blacks are segregated lunch counters, women won't have abortions, where police can knock down doors, persons, etc. And then the Democrats basically did a live five days where they basically went through everything Bork's ever written and said, you are a cretin, you're horrible, you're, you're, you know, what do you mean you believe that the police should be able to knock people's doors down at one o'clock in the morning and arrest people for no reason? What is your wrong with you, man? Exactly. But that was the issue. And then Supreme Court nominations became very much a political forefight. So it's just, there are three solutions. Now, some say you're going to pack the court. I think that's complete crap. You don't need to pack the court. I think the solution is this, that an independent association should pick the best person for the job, right? In the last 30 years, by the way, personally, by the way, James, Michael, you know this already. I yes. vote for every justice that the, the president ever puts forward. That's my view. From Thurgood Marshall to Robert Bock to Anton Scalia to Ruth Bader Ginsburg to Sonia Sotomayor. Because they are uh, qualified. But they're qualified. Yes. Exactly. They might have views that I think is morally disgraceful. Scalia's a lunatic, but he's qualified for the job. So don't you think that's the case, that through our campaign finance reform, that by reducing ad time, that we get senators back to the old mindset on Supreme Court justices, that if a person's qualified and competent, he has to have the job? Yeah. James, what do you think? Uh, After that long I would say, yeah, if he's qualified and competent, yeah. Go on, well, I mean... I would say he's qualified and competent. Yeah, he should. They should get the job, no matter who they are. But, but then there's, but then, but then there's serious questions though about like, well, this person has a proven track record of stuff that everybody hates, but he's competent and qualified, so he gets it with the job. There's a. It's gone, there, there needs to be a certain extent where where he says, "Oh, well, that's just a step too far. You don't get in." Well, what's the step too far then? I don't know. Has it come up yet? Is it kicking pensioners? Is it saying let's go back to war with every country on the earth? What's too far for you? Well, I mean, I mean, I wouldn't go. I wouldn't vote for a person who says let's go to war with every. Person. And I certainly <laughs> would have voted for someone who kicks elderly people. <laughs> but there's, a, but there's an, but there's an, but there will be a step too far eventually, and yeah. and it's only a matter. Of, I don't know what the step too far is because it hasn't happened yet. But would you clear as a step too far? The man who said that Brown versus the Board of Education was a bad ruling. It, you know, it's a step too far, yeah. But I mean, for, for me, but oh, back he, then, I'm sure, I'm sure it was fine. 
Do you not believe in, because there's a thing with the Supreme Court used to be where you'd replace a liberal with a liberal, a moderate for a moderate, and a conservative for a conservative. So, for yeah. example, if, they, if it was a Republican administration, they had someone like Justice John Paul Stevens, a moderate Republican, that when Democrats came in, they could put someone like Stevie Breyer or Elena Kagan, moderate to liberal. But if it's a liberal fundamental, someone like um, Thurgood Marshall, you have to put a liberal with him. And if it's a conservative like Anton Scalia goes, then you have to put a conservative to replace him. But it's the moderates where you can put moderate to liberal, moderate to conservative. Yeah. I think I think I think the I think I think what should happen, it should just be an equal amount. There's, is it is it nine justices on the court? Nine justices on the court. Though the court now actually the constitution doesn't actually specify us to be nine. That's where the packing the court argument comes in. Because oh, okay. it's not unconstitutional, but uh, it's the convention that it's nine, yeah. And so I would say I would say three conservative, three liberal, three moderate. What do you like that, Michael? Because that's actually one of, that's actually a pretty good idea. Uh, which one? James's idea that we have three and it's nine justices, so there has to be three liberals, three moderates, three conservatives on the court. Three Ginsburgs, hmm. three Garlands, three Scalias. That's actually not a bad idea, you know. Uh this uh, I'd just rather go for qualified. <laughs> If, if, if it is so um, happens to be three moderates, three conservatives, three liberals, then great. But it's like, uh, I don't think, I, I just think the requirement for a Supreme Court justice should not be on their political views. Well, no, but James made a good point, and I don't agree. You know I believe in the qualified, the qualified competent thesis, but James made a point. Someone like, for example, Robert Bork, who said that married couples should not be allowed contraception, or someone like Anthony Scalia, who said that desegregation of schools is a ludicrous idea and it was unconstitutional. Don't you think that poses a limit in a way? Or do you think that's just sort of a maybe not? I, I don't know what you mean by limit. I mean, he's, in a he's way, crossed the line, hasn't he? he said, things he that said, are so fundamental. What, to as in, oh, as in he's crossed a limit? Yeah, he's crossed yeah. the oh. limit there. You think so? Um, bad precedent, because I think and if a liberal justice, someone like a new Ruth Bader Ginsburg, was to say, for example, that all abortions are... Sure, I guess, but it's no, like... My issue with limits idea, James, is very simple. If there was someone liberal in the future, you know, some, another Ruth Bader Ginsburg, right? And she said, because the 10th Amendment permits the Equal Protections Clause, that permits all abortions to be fundamentally legal, right? Mm. Or that yeah. outlaws, because the equal, under the Equal Protection Clause, because rich people don't actually get sentenced to death because they use blood money or because they are more affluent counties, but poor people do, then that sort of sentencing is messed up and never, the death penalty is unconstitutional, right? Yeah. But don't you, and then a Republican administration could say, well, that passes my moral limit because I'm a devout Christian and I believe these two things are constitutional. So don't you think we're setting a very bad precedent there? Yeah, but I'm sure I'm sure that fits into American politics quite well, setting a bad precedent. All the, but, I mean, believe in stare decisis, which is basically we set yeah, more precedents. But, yeah, there are two it's sides to... Except there are two sides. They don't believe in Roe with decisis and precedents. They don't believe in, in precedents for Roe versus Wade. That's not apparently precedent worthy. Everything else is precedent worthy, though. Let, let, there are always two sides to every story, isn't there? I mean, there, there's always going to be someone say, there's, there's, there's going to be someone who says, oh, um, abortion crosses my line, except in abortion, you, you're killing an innocent child. And say, so, well, that's that's fair enough. But um, and then there'll be somebody saying, well, that crosses my line. You, you might be killing the mother. How's that, how's that allowed? And so there's always, but the, but but I mean, it's quite blatantly obvious if somebody crosses the line. I mean, so some some some, some somebody saying somebody saying 
saying abortion should be legal up until up until birth. Yeah. Yeah. That. Yeah. That. 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 I know, but look, look, look. There might be Supreme Court justices saying that. I don't believe that. I don't believe abortion should be legal up until birth. But there might be Supreme Court justice who agrees with that and say that's that's. It might be crossing the line to many people. They might be saying, "Oh, that's way too extreme." But the fact is, what? What? If you were president of the United States, which I know now we're doing speculation, but if you were president of the United States, what would be your limits? What would be opinions done by a liberal justice? Because I'm assuming you'd appoint a liberal justice. That for you would say I can't have that. Well, I'd only point a liberal justice if the liberal justice got uh, has oh, got. That's interesting. So let's say so if Scalia died, so 2016 when Antonin Scalia passed away, you'd, yeah. you'd appoint a conservative. Antifa- I would appoint a conservative. Even even if I hated everything that he said, even if I even if even he said, "Oh, uh, Roe versus Wade, believe the mothers uh, mothers before the child." Even if they said that, I would still appoint a conservative justice to make it better. Because then you have every single side of the representative. Court. Obviously, that obviously I'm just too moral. My time of Democrat. We've spotted my type of Democrat. Someone who's actually bipartisan. Mike, would you follow that thesis? Um, liberal for liberal, moderate for moderate, conservative for conservatives. That if, say, Justice Scalia died, you'd appoint a conservative justice to the court. And if, when Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, you'd appoint a liberal to the court. And when Anthony Kennedy stepped down, it'd be a moderate, moderate to a conservative, moderate to liberal on the court. What would I do? Um, <laughs> again, I go back I to qualified. Um, so I wouldn't really know. But the thing no, no, is, but the qualified thesis only works for senators. You see, because the president appoints the justice. As senators, I agree with the point. Okay, as president, okay, as president, would I, out of respect, probably, I probably do conservative, conservative, moderate for moderate, liberal for liberal, just because of respect. I'm not going to try and make gain out of someone's like retirement or passing or illness or whatever. That's probably a disgraceful thing to do. Mitchell Hall's done that. You what? Mitch McConnell's done that. Yeah, of I mean, course. He's it. got a six-three conservative court. Scalia died. Put Gorsuch. Kavanaugh. Uh, uh, Kennedy stepped down. Put Kavanaugh. The, uh, RBG yeah. died. Put bloody Amy Coney. Well, this is the thing with Amy Coney Barrett, though. As much as she got like, it, as it was disrespectful to elect like a conservative, yeah. she's not actually been so conservative. And part of that, I think, is that um, she's. Like respecting that um, spot that she took. Well, but there's interesting thing I remember with this market, the Supreme Court massively, and James, you like this, that on 90% of the rulings they make in the Supreme Court, they're all unanimous. Yeah. They're all unanimous. In most of the district courts, I think it's an average of 84% of the rulings, they're all unanimous. All nine justices on the court are all unanimous in their rulings. That Brett Kavanaugh, for example, who I know everyone hates, him and Merrick Garland, who's Joe Biden's attorney general, agreed 96% of the time. Yeah. So do you think that we should all, that the court, that the old system, that Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Anton Scalia were friends for 35 years until they died? That the idea that you can, and I think this, the, the, this is the intellectual mindset of changing our politics, that somehow someone who has differing views from you isn't the enemy. Question. Yes, who on. did Gorsuch replace? Uh, Scalia. And who did Kavanaugh replace? Anthony Kennedy. 
Oh, interesting, right? Because I, I don't know who replaced who, you see, but they were quite in close proximity, weren't they? Do you know any more the clarifications, Michael? You what? Do you know any more clarifications on just this? They give me some more, happily. Um, hmm. Sorry, James. Which were the ones that Trump elected again? Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Tony Barrett. Replacing... Okay, yeah, no, no, I don't need any more clarifications. Cool. Okay, Thank you. but that's the thing, because I think that's the way the court, I think the Senate, especially in the United States, that now will come on Social Security because we've done a long enough dissertation on the courts. We could write 5,000 words of the, we could go in this about the court, but that'll, that'll be up for another day. We'll do the court on another episode, viewers. Um, with Social Security, and this will be our final topic now, actually, we'll do the stretch again because, yeah, okay, if you're still sticking into us, you're an absolute gem. Um, yeah. With Social Security. Ronald, Jimmy Carter laid, so Franklin Roosevelt laid the framework for it, the idea that no pensioners should go without because of unemployment. Harry Truman strengthened it. Eisenhower put 10 more years of life into it. LBJ did the Social Security Amendment of 1965, which put Medicare and Medicaid into it. Then um, Jimmy Carter tripled the payroll tax to give it a bit of life, though he didn't reform it enough. So Ronald Reagan with Bob Dole and Democrat Tip O'Neill, the House Speaker, got their people around the table and said, okay, let's fix it, and then put 50 years of life and uh, 50 years of life into the trust fund of Social Security. Okay, here's... James, I've seen you've done the Social Security calculus, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Michael, do you know about this, the fixed Social Security interactive thing? Um, the interactive thing? What? There's a thing on Committee for Responsible Federal Budget that allows you to adjust the revenues and taxes of social security so you can make it stable for the next hundred years. If, oh, you, no, I, I don't know about that. Do tell, though. All right. I'll, you know what I'll do? Whilst me and James are discussing it, you can do it. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, shit. I can't minimise. Oh, bollocks. All right. One sec. What we're going to do is I'm going to send them to you whilst we're talking about social security. So then you, can do, it, so you can do it yourself with your alternative plan. As long as you're in like five minutes. Is that okay? Well, the thing is, I just have it for Social Security. I'm not as much versed in that. That's the thing. Well, make yourself versed. It's actually one of the quickest ways of learning about it. It's just how much would you raise taxes by? How much would you raise benefits? You by? talk. I'll take your ideas. I'll have a look at I've this. I've just sent it to you on WhatsApp, so you can go and have a little fiddle with it. It's called Fixed Social Security. Go and Google type Fixed Social Security Interactive Tool. And listeners, you can type that in as well. Anyway, so my plan is this. Right now, the Social Security payroll tax is 13.2%. It's 6.6 for the employees, 6.6 for the employers. We raise that to 20%, 10% apiece, right? Then we raise the average benefit contribution to an average of $2,800 a month, up from $1,500 a month. We means test benefits for those on six figures. We allow some private trust funds for those on the seven-figure salaries. We uh, adjust COLAs, which is the cost of living adjustments. That's how we adjust the benefits to inflation. And we subject the payroll tax to all earnings rather than 70%. And we also allow deductibility for higher earnings, which I can the 38 limit, and we allow spousal benefits. That's all I remember from my head. I might have got a bit. Oh, and we allow uh, slow benefit growth for the top set, top 70% of earners. And by the way, the benefit growth, guys, is 70%. So it'll be slowing up for 15%. So, and all those that reform, as you've seen, James, I've sent you my social security calculator, will leave yeah. social security solvent uh, in that it'll have a 200 billion, a 2.1 billion trillion dollar surplus.
lovely music. Looks like uh, that may have been a call. Well, James, would you like to give us your ideas? In the time that Where the hell has this come from? What's happened now? I don't know. We just started bloody playing music. That's, that's, that's a Discord um, call noise. Is it? Yeah. Oh, sugar. Do you have Discord on your computer? I do have Discord. Ah. Sorry, can you keep guys talking? I'm just going to sort this out. Oh, okay. I thought, but, what the... Sorry, look, sorry, good listeners. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, no worries about that. Um, okay, well, <laughs> I, from now on, I'm the host until he t- it does that. This is January 6th. We've overthrown um, I, the, the Washington-dowed Khan capital. Uh, <laughs> so that's the solution that if you, as it were, cap benefit growth for the highest of earners and we yes. uh, we raised the payroll tax to 20% up from 132 and we raised the social security benefit entitlement from $1,600 to $2,800 and we fixed callers to inflation that way by 2100 social security will still have nearly $2 trillion in surplus rather than right now in 10 years time where it's going to be bankrupt. So what's the solution, James? I pretty, pretty much exactly what you just said. I think I think that is the solution. I think I think the solution is indeed to is to get down your debt. Bill, if you if you if you get rid of most of your debt, you're you're you can then pay off the social thing. You, you, you need you need to benefit. You need to. What needs to happen is that the government needs to decide what's the most important. Yes. Which what policy is the most important, and say, and say social security. That's the most important policy. That gets a hundred percent of the time. The hundred percent that it needs. A hundred percent of the time. And he goes. And he goes, um, so Medicare, Medicaid, second most important thing. Like gets 100% of the time, 100% of the money it needs. And, and, it, goes, and then it might go down to, it might, it might go down to something about like arts funding or something like that. So it's, it's, it's important. It, help, it helps people progress. It helps, it helps uh, want to be active. Yeah. But the NEA, uh, uh, National Endowment for the Arts. Because 100% of its funding, 50% of the time, or 50% of its funding, 75% of the time. You, you know what I mean? So like, there should be a list. Well, the thing that, that is, is you're disobeying the old Harold Macmillan thesis of events, dear boy, events. That, for example, George W. Bush was going to be domestic president. Thank God he wasn't. Thank God. But when 9-11 happened, of course, then everything went to hell. The Obama, yeah, I mean, you know, global financial crisis, that changed everything. That sometimes there are, I know what you mean, that, that presidents should have a key legislative priority and yes. just blast it through, shove it down the throats if necessary, right? That's yeah. fair. But there's the Bob Dole solution, and I personally favour this, that we should have a commission of Republicans and Democrats, equal number, and they should take the big issue, say Social Security, and come up with a solution that will fix it for 100 years. Same with Medicare. The same solution, they fix it for 100 years. That you shouldn't have elections being fought on these issues. Of course, they're brilliant issues, people like me, you, me, you, like discussing them intellectually. But if there was a commission solving it, as you know, but then there are some who would argue that the commission don't have the bright ideas that they keep fixing it for 10 years and five years and it doesn't actually get fixed. Exactly. But the uh, and, and that's a very good argument. The fact the fact that is you you're looking you're looking in a dream world that that, that Republicans and Democrats will be able to agree hey, on something. They can, bet, they can bet they, they can bet down, they can barely agree they, they can barely they can barely agree what's left and right, never mind that mm. 
and ne- never mind all of this stuff. So what what will happen? It will be opinions. They they will say, well, we we think this will fix social security for the next two years. And they say, and then the Democrats go, no, this is how you will fix social security. And then the Republicans will go, no, this is how you fix social security. So they'll do that for a hundred years, and then they realize, oh wait, we haven't fixed it. And so the issue there needs to be a strong president that comes along and just says, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. If it doesn't work, you vote me out. What they need, is they need to for social security. Is it? Is it the Republican view just outsource it to private stock markets? Is it the Democrat view raise the payroll tax and raise benefits one at the same time? Or is it our view that says raise payroll tax and raise benefits, as I've outlined previously, but also subject all wages to the payroll tax, put COLA to inflation, and have slow benefit growth for the middle class and upper classes? The, the, the thing is, what, what needs to happen is that you need to slowly take people off benefits, not, not just like strip them from benefits. What the way you need to get them off... But, you're 70, not have a job. Get a job. No, I'm I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm talking about like the first years, the fourth years who don't have a job. Okay. Instead, and, and, instead, of, I'm not. I'm not saying just get rid of benefits. They don't have a job. I'm saying, I'm saying, find them a job. Provide them with a Fine. job. James. Yeah. Social security is paid only to the elderly. Is that? Is it? Sixty-five plus. Oh. Our version. It's It's the American version of the state pension. Ah, I see. Obviously, well, well, well isn't that simple? You, you pay if 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 a pensioner, yeah, a pe- if, if a pensioner's worked their entire life, yeah, they let's say they work from eighteen to to sixty five, yeah? yeah, and and each and each year they earn about I don't know fifty grand a year, yes, yeah, they they they're, they're, they're probably brought about in a million pounds into the country themselves so i think I, I think it should just be sorted that they get paid they get they they, they, they get benefits from they get free health is it a trust fund you say basically for the elderly let's keep our promises and pay them what they need but for our yeah. young people let's put a trust fund government backed of course but we should yeah. take hold of their wages put it into a trust fund with interest and by the time they're 65 they can make weekly payments from the trust fund yeah on top, I mean, of, that's this, on top just, of the pension on top of the pension on yeah. top of social security okay not they have to have that they have to keep uh, investing for their own pension and if they don't do it they don't have anything no there should there should be their social security that, yeah. that that should be given and then and then and then i think it should it, should, it shouldn't have to be you should, it shouldn't be mandatory but i but i think that there should be mandatory oh my god that went to the ronald reagan thesis make it voluntary it, it should it should be voluntary you can't, you, yeah. can't, you can't force... We remind down. this is not the Conservative Party podcast. No, you can't, you can't force down somebody to put something into their pension they don't want to. Oh, the trust fund, you mean? Yes. Ah, I'm sorry. I not thought the, the security should be voluntary. No, 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 no. I'm talking about the trust fund. I'm talking about the trust fund. Sorry, I should be more clear. The trust fund should be voluntary. The reason it should be voluntary is that the argument made by people say, let's make the trust fund voluntary, saying that poor people cannot afford to put, say, £100 a month into a trust fund and, you know... But isn't it meant for the government to put fifty pounds in as long as they put fifty pounds in? Yeah, I, I think we will, as it were, match their contributions. So at least they'll have something to pay out. Because it's always the poorest that have something to pay out because they don't save and the government doesn't help them to save. Yeah, but then, but 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 then there's an issue. If there's a really rich person with a hundred grand into their trust fund, will the government have to put a hundred grand into the trust fund? No, 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 no. It's all, no, no. We said only for the poor. 
Only for the poor. Only for the poor, okay. Only for those only like for the 25,000 pounds. To use the British analogy, only those for like 25,000 pounds a year would receive this compensation. Okay. Yeah. Them well, paying 50 pounds, us paying 50 pounds. And by the way, the limit would be something like 200 pounds a month. We're not going to allow people to put in a thousand pounds a month, two thousand pounds a month into the saving pots. It'd be a limit yeah. of 200 pounds a month because it's been strictly calculated under the pension act. Yeah. But that's what I mean, because I understand that thesis. The government can't be putting in £1,000 every month for the wealthy. That's a perfect yeah. argument. Michael, what do you think about it? The future of social, the future of the pensions in America? Bear in mind, well, mind that your hero, Richard Nixon, said that pensions encourage loafing and freeloading and immorality. Uh, and he did. Yeah, I know he did say that. Something I don't agree with, obviously. Ah, good, good. good, good. Uh, the yeah. thing is... When it comes to pensions in America, it's so divisive Why? because, well, Why? because of spending and it's like, oh, come on, not there's other ways to control spending and that's, you know, and debt and all that. And the social security is fine. Just, just, just. Like, it's interesting with Republicans, isn't it? They say when Democrats are power, we must control spending. But then when they're in power... There's two point one trillion dollars for tax cuts. There's ah, one yes. for war. That's there's, the thing. There's no end to the spending when the Republicans are. But when we're, I was trying to give, for example, t- uh, assistance to the families who are on like ten thousand dollars a year. No, we must control spending. I mean, come on. Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, it's just like that's a key one, isn't it? When Reagan massively and then increased spending and didn't find the means of growing the economy. So therefore, he was basically borrowing for the eight years of his presidency. Yeah, I mean, the, the weird thing is that I see with this divide, I find it unnecessary because I think the future Social Security is. So I was playing through this and I was using like, you know, that website and I was yeah. using your idea, like this 20% thing and I was going through and all switch that and I'm liking this and I was looking through it and it's like, oh, okay, it's not too bad because the thing is, I'm not that versus oh, social security. I'm just, vers- I'm just, I-, I know the divide and shock about it, but I don't know really much how to um, more or less solve it. Divide. Shall I give you a brief summary of the divide? You what? Should I give you a brief overview of the divide? Oh, I know the divide. I'm just talking about well, the future and how to solve it. Well, the solution is to do something that's politically suicidal. It's tax rises. And I'm not in favour of tax rises mainly, as you know, but it's, it's Social Security and Medicare. You have to raise taxes for it. Medicare payroll tax is 2%. I mean, they can pay more taxes in America. Look at what the tax rate is. I mean, cool. Uh, well, mind you, actually, no, I say that... Um, but just thinking about it, then, then again, minimum wage—that's uh, that's one thing in America. And inflation, so it's like oh, what would minimum wage? Be on a seesaw what, a bit. What are you against minimum wage now? Oh, no, no, no! It just needs to be raised. Oh, I agree with that, but I think inflation—inflation—that's inflation, the problem. Yeah, so, that's inflation. Problem. Inflation is only caused when governments borrow too much and can't have sufficient. I money. know, and <laughs> it's such a bugger because you think about this, it's like okay, right. How are you going to sort out this medic? Sorry, like healthcare when you've got this insane inflation rate. I mean, what seven point five percent at the minute? I mean, come 9. on, you what? Seven point nine. Seven point nine. Now it went up zero point four. When? Yeah, no, it's always been seven point nine. Where? In- I know it. Like it was announced like a uh, early in the week on like Wednesday. I think it was seven point five. James, you seven point nine in Britain because it is seven point nine in Britain. Yeah. Yeah, it's 7.9 in Britain, it's 7.5 in the States. 
Yeah, 7.5 in the States. We've got our highest inflation in nearly 30 years now under these yeah. idiots. Yes. What's the solution to inflation? Is it Ford's initiative of whip inflation now by simply reducing consumer spending? Or is it by... That's, that's one thing. That it's so major. If just people stop buying so much and stuff that they don't always need, that's one thing that will do it. But then again, it rests on the government and all that, as they say. But it's like, maybe just stop buying so much because you'll, you'll actually help it out. It's not just the government. It's also businesses... It's nonsense because the way an economy grows is through productivity. The way productivity grows is because demand. You only get demand if people are buying stuff. And if you buy stuff, there's an increase in demand, which is an increase in productivity, which is an increase in Yeah, but businesses growth. are struggling to provide. That's the thing. Oh, struggling to meet. Ah, now ah, we're on the right tip now. Because businesses are struggling for three reasons, Michael. One, their taxes. I know them. One, their yeah. taxes are too high. Secondly, they're being undercutted by foreign imports. Thirdly, we have a demoralized workforce. That's why business is strong. It's not because of the of inflation of government borrowing or the minimum wage. It's because we don't we tax too much. We don't have we have too much foreign import. We don't make our own stuff, and we have a demoralized workforce. That's why. Yeah, I know, but this is the thing that on top of if people just stop buying so much, uh, I mean, it would probably help out a few businesses, especially smaller ones. I mean, come on, that they're not going to be able to provide, uh, sorry, supply at the rate of demand at the minute, and they're going to really struggle. We'll come on to the end of this section, which is about the policies he needs to do to win twenty-four and damage from twenty-two. But I'm just going to ask this and ask you, James, as well, actually. In the 80s, there's an issue called enterprise zones, which I am very fond of, which is that you declare 50 of the poorest areas in your country, and if businesses go and invest there, you charge half of your current tax rate. So if businesses invest, say, in Red Car or Tees or Bly Valley or wherever you have you, we then charge a 12% corporation tax rate. Do you think that's part of it? And also that we reform small business rates. So instead of having this square foot nonsense, it's 3% for profits below £50,000, 5% for £50,000, £150,000, 8% for £300,000, and 10% for £350,000, and half a million we start doing corporation tax increases. Tax rates. James? Just for me. No. Yeah. Um, you yeah, silent, I think, giving you silent. I think... I think that's a good point. I mean, if, if the government can identify where the poorest places are in the country. We know where they are. Well, yeah, yeah, but if, I know they are. I think the government knows when, actually, this Tory government, they're like, what do you mean poor people? I thought all of us were poor. No, I, anyway, so, 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 when they do identify this, yeah, go on. I think, I think, I think saying businesses, go there, invest, build up this, build up this town, build up the city, build up, make it, make, Make, make it as prosperous as other major cities mm. in this country. And right. if you do this, we'll give, we're, we're, we're giving you a benefit. We're, we're, we're saying you still, you still have to pay us. You're still, you're still in our country. You have to pay as much less than you would anyway. It's, it's, it's basically like saying, it'll be, it'll be, it's basically like saying you're giving people, the poorest in society, jobs uh, for less money. Yeah. But for the business, and it's, it's, a, it's, a no, it's a no-brainer, really, if you think about it from the business perspective. We pay less money, we get more jobs, we get more people to do our work. And we have to pay less money because of it. I think Interesting. I might have said this last week, but I said the issue with the business debate is very simple. You have the left wing, and on the centre left, you say we need high tax, high regulation. The right, you say we need low tax and deregulation without realising no game can work without rules and no game can work without incentives. 
businesses cannot function without clear rules. And that's why regulation, now, okay, yes, there are wasteful regulations, of course, but 90% regulations are very good. But equally, if you tax too much, they'll produce less. So don't you think, Michael, and I'll come to you, James, well, that the solution for businesses and industry is less tax, but more regulation. So union, as government, as it were, reduces its role in industry, that trade unions, the non-corrupt centre-left trade unions, that is, with not constant striking tendencies, the, the centre-left non-militant unions, they come in and then they help the workers. Well, the government always has a we still talk about America, by the way. Yeah, let's talk about that, because the AFL-CIO have been crushed in America. Okay, well, what, what regulation in what? What do you want regulation, more regulation? Any, regulation in any industry. because No, I'm talking about what aspect. Is it like the taxes? Is oh, it production? No, no. Oh, right, okay, no, 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 no. Regulation, the treatment of workers we're referring to here. The health right. standards, the basic wages, sick pay, unemployment insurance, etc. I'm not meaning productivity. You can't constrain productivity, nor can you strain taxes. You must let them yeah. Really? No, I agree with more regulation on treatment of workers, but I um, but the thing is, low ta- lower taxes for businesses, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. One hundred percent. It is such a ludicrous idea to be constantly raising taxes on businesses because once you raise taxes on businesses, you're raising them on smaller businesses, especially ones that with, struggle. With the tax cuts, though, you've got to get the right balance between, of course, having a free mar- a free enterprise economy, of course but equally not taxing them so low that they don't produce the revenues. You've got to get the right balance. Oh, yeah, no, but here's yes, the thing. Low, businesses will be tax- willing to pay taxes if you yeah. lower them. Yes, have low taxes, but don't make them so low. Like, yeah, keep- I know. Don't do a flat tax. Oh, don't even get me started on fl- flat tax. Same reason. The flat taxation, the flat rate, is the same reason I hate a UBI. We're not all the same. We have different circumstances. We have different issues, and the government treats us differently. So, and to help people, you know, someone on twenty grand a year needs more help than someone on two hundred grand a year, right, James? And I'll come to you, Michael. This is going to be a simple round off before the hour and forty-five minutes has ended. Yeah, I said this would be a bit longer, but yeah, we got into a good discussion this week. Yeah, yeah. Um, that the issue, the, the solution. What do you think are the five things Joe Biden could do right now to win re-election 24? And what are the five things the Democrats could do in terms of legislation twenty to win the midterms, the House and Senate? Bear in mind this with the Senate, actually. The House is a bit fucked, but the Senate, if the Democrats win all the states that Joe Biden carried in the 2020 election, they get 53 senators. They win a majority. If they carried all the states Barack Obama won in 2012, they get 55 senators. So the path this time is extremely good for them. So what do the Democrats need to do to win the Senate in 22 and the presidency again in 24? I'll start, I'll start off with Joe Biden winning in 2024. I think, I think, I think he needs to do five... Well, I, I don't know if I can name five, but uh, of the five things that he needs to do, he, need, he needs to be accountable. Yeah. He, he, needs to, he needs to be open. He needs to be one of his... I mean, we've had... We've had uh, I mean, the previous, uh, the previous president, um, Donald Trump, was de- was de- wasn't very um, open. Accountable or open. Yeah, uh, accountable or open. He needs, he needs, he needs to be, um, he needs to be reasoned. He needs to, he needs to give reasons why he's doing everything. Why, why he's doing, why, 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 why is he, why is he rested a trillion pounds into road infrastructure? Why has he done that? He needs to give reason for that. Obviously, he has given a reason. But I'm just saying that he needs to carry on with that. He needs, and then I think, I think the other two things, the other two things are, he needs to get businesses to be on his side. I yeah. think, if, and then. He needs the working class on his side. If he's got those five things, 
I don't see how he can't be re-elected. And and if, and if you're talking about and you're going to talk about the Democrats in 2022, I think it's much the same. I think they need to win over the working class. I think I think they need to keep the businesses, uh, keep 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 businesses on their side. I think, and I also I also believe they just need to they they need, need to highlight the issues that the Republicans have, the yes. major issues that the Republicans have. They and and they need, and they need to attack them because of it. The, the Democrats the Democrats are very laid back compared to the Republicans when it comes to. Uh, Political uh, advertising and so on. So they go. Oh, obviously, they are. They're much fiercer than we we are in this country. But I mean, they're, they're pretty laid back. If you look at the, if you look at Republican advertising. Like he's done this. He's done this. Don't vote for him. He'll kill your wife. Where, 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 where was, where was the Democrats like? Oh, please vote for us. Uh, they've done one bad thing. You see, you see, they need to be more. They need to be more aggressive, and and they need to be more ruthless in in the Senate, in Congress, in all of that. They they need to show. They need to show to the Republicans that that they're not here to be bossed around. The hit, the hit, as any of these other Republicans are, and they're elected, and they're going to do the exact thing that they believe. Because the Republicans, the Republicans, what, what, what was it called when they delay the um, delay votes? What's it called? Filibuster. Filibuster. The, the Republicans are known for filibustering. Oh yeah? yeah. Yeah, and and it just and, and and all it shows is that Republicans are ruthless to, to get what they want. They, 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 they will waste everybody's time. Yeah, but with filibuster, James, with respect, the Democrats have been the architects of doing filibusters to end. It was true, the Democrats true. who filibustered the Civil Rights Act of 1964 by, but, as, Robert, as Robert, uh, Richard Russell said, just talk, let's talk the bill to death. So, but, you know, there have been, you know, if, both sides if, of if, 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 if I said to you, Dowd, if I said to you, Dowd, filibuster, what path are you going to say? Oh, Republican. Yeah, if I was going to say aggressive campaign, what party are you going to say? Republican. If, if I was going to say uh, have, having uh, having uh, good relations with business, uh, businesses, what party are you going to say? Now it's Republicans, it used to be Democrats, but now it's Yeah, right. so you, you, you see what I mean? I mean, yeah. if you have all of these things, obviously not the filibuster, the filibuster isn't very well politically advertised, but if you show your ruthlessness, if you show your ruthlessness in, in Congress, in the Senate, if, if, you, if, you, if you show your ruthlessness on political advertising saying, look what these have done to you, they've, they've disgraced the nation. And if, you, and, if, and, if, and if you build back your relationship with the businesses and the working class pieces, uh, people, you will not lose an election. It's like the five key pillars, the four key pillars. Sorry. The four key pillars. You, you can't lose after you've done all that. If you've got your base, you've got... You've got you know, through policy. If the Democrats made the next election, for example, health insurance reform, about jobs for the poor, about education, about uh, having the clean environment. They made those four things, right? First of all, the Democrat, the majority of the public agree with us on those four positions, and the Republicans yeah. have the most ludicrous positions. It seems to be uh, state-line healthcare, privatised insurance, uh, nonsense in education, uh, private sector jobs for the for the poor people, and we don't want net zero because we're imbeciles. Now, if the Democrats made their positions of universal health insurance, of the Job Corps program for the W, like the WPA Roosevelt did, uh, federal aid to education strengthening with some with more state control, and net zero by twenty forty, yeah. Contrast that to that. Of course, you're going to vote Democrat. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But tax. Do you think tax is a part, Michael? I'll come to you with this, Nancy James. But do you think tax is central to the Democrats win next time? But if the Democrats go into the next election promising we will not raise the basic middle, mid, higher middle or top rate of t- income taxes, that the Republicans' biggest argument against them is finished. Like Blair and Clinton did. I it's think um, the for Democrats to win in 2024, let me just say, 
For starters, I don't think Joe Biden will run again. And at this rate, I don't think he'll win. But this is the thing. This is what he needs to do to win if he does run. Right, first of all, he needs to stop alienating people, okay? None of this Wait. calling people racist for oh, no reason. Michael, there are racists in society. Yeah, I know, but, but for no reason, especially when people even stumble stop that it's the culture war that's you're gonna die on that hill the republicans really. love, of course because yeah no- i know that's a problem but they're gonna win the culture war i mean oh, come on yeah. of course i agree with that the, 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 this is so stop with that culture war nonsense I agree. um all right second of all do do stuff <laughs> leading up to 2024 do more stuff you like what You've, you've done some executive orders and you've kind of calmed down a bit for a year. I mean, so some bills are really struggling to get passed, but you can still like what? do stuff through executive orders. Uh, right, for example, one of the first things he needs to... Uh, okay, no, perfect example. So today he was talking about um, Medicare, Medicaid, I think. Oh, was he? he about, I think uh, it was yesterday, I think, actually, sorry. But, it, okay. but he was talking about expanding that. Good. Do it. Yeah. Do it. Get it done. Right? Get that done. Um, executive order, I'd argue, because Joe Manchin won't bloody well vote for it because he's an idiot. Yeah, I know. Just executive order, expand it. And let the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court won't strike down as unconstitutional because as John Roberts yes. tax. Yeah, yeah. Tax. So just do it, yeah. Yeah, okay. The other thing is he needs to argue on taxes, like you said. I think you mm. made a good point. Yeah, use that. Argue on taxes, win on that. Promise clearly, like Clinton and Tony Blair did, we will not raise income tax at all. Why? Because then Republicans can't say he's going to raise your taxes. Because we'll say, uh, can you read? Can you read our yeah. promises? We've said we yeah. uh, Another thing as well. Mm. Um, right. Is that Schroeder when Germany Switch your vice president or get them to start working. Oh, yeah, you've got to ditch Kamala Harris. Oh, my goodness, yes. Oh, she's a sitting duck. Well, she's doing should nothing. Who do you think you should play him? Do you think Pete Buttigieg should be on Yes, t- absolutely. He should have been vice president from the start. Probably one of the... He had some of the biggest ideas. And if people start having a go, oh, that's not that diverse. Right, one, he's gay. Uh, second of all, it's not... It's uh, I'm sick of this. It's not all about skin colour and all that. Stop dividing things on that. You're oh. dying on another culture war. Yeah. Just start doing it on ideas and yes. things that are actually going to get done. Yeah, yeah. I'm sick of this whole thing where it's like, oh, you're black. Uh, you're a butch. You're very stupid. You're you're not going to do this, or um, you're white, you're very stupid, but you're going to do this, or it's your history. We're on national, these will be streets of the people, Michael. Come on, yeah. two hours of immensely good discussions, and all people are going to take is that final quote. Well, they can take it out of context, but you're doing it now, so don't fuel them. This is the thing. Uh, it, 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 when that happens, when you're saying that, it's like, stop dividing people like that. Yeah, yeah. It's like it, it, qualifications, not their skin colour. Who do you think started that though? Uh, who? Oh God! Uh, way, back, way back, way back. 
where how far back are we talking we're talking nixon back are we talking can I just, sorry can i just i need to continue the point because it's, it's like it's so you've, throw... made a, you've made a fundamental point there the idea yeah, but this, that, this... That, the, the democrats and republicans i'd argue definitely have divided people into individual groups and they've not seen those people they've said well you're the african-american lobbies so here's this you're the women lobbies so here's this and they've not talked the policies they're just talking about culture and identity rather than talking about health and jobs and education but that's the core issue. But how do we get people off that? How do we make politics more about the, as James said, the battle of ideas? Well, but that's one of the hardest things. Uh, coming back to my point, uh, the point that I made, the examples that I made, it's yeah. like you, you could be, you know, like you could, Hispanic, black, white, uh, Asian, whatever. And then it's like you've got, you're picking, like, let's say, oh, we've not had enough, like, uh, no, hold on. We've not had enough, like, um, Asian people in this job, but it's like, mm. uh, okay, uh, why, why are you asking about that? And it's like, well, I've been asking this is a job, and I'm like, mm. okay, big issue we're talking about here is the idea. We're trying to get someone who can do, like, let's say, reform Social Security. Yes. If they've got a great idea and they're Asian, fantastic. What a coincidence, okay? Yeah. But I, as long as, they've got, uh, as anyone has got a good idea, thank you very much. It's just like, so come on. But this is this is another problem because when you brought up that point about this being streamed to nation, people are going to take that out of context. That's the hill people die on to nitpick and then try and you know call people racist and oh you're being racist and all that and it's like it's not being racist. It's making an example. If you can't make those examples anymore, then what is the point in, in the culture war? <laughs> Don't you think this is because of our media in a way? That our exactly, media, because they'll blow it out of proportion. Hold it, hold it. That our media have stopped, don't understand the issues of health, education, of jobs. They don't understand the issues because they're not, you know. No, because they want to blow up stuff about race and take something out of context so about culture, someone. Because they understand culture so well, they think let's make politics about that rather than talking about issues. You know, when James and I have knocked on doors for the Labour Party, okay? Same. And James and I, yeah, you knocked on doors. We've all knocked on doors for the Labour Party. What yeah. do people say when they knock on doors? The roads aren't very good. My kid isn't going to a good school. I have to wait too long for my medical care and I'm paying too much in tax. Guaranteed, that's more or less they give a version of what they're saying there. So, yeah. you know, so that, that's what people care about. It's the, the issues that affect their life directly, not some abstract theoretical questions that are totally relevant to ordinary people. It's how do we improve the, the kids' school, the health service, the people's housing? And do you think that if let the progressive parties, or do you know, forget that, liberal parties, the left parties, let's call them what they are, left parties, start talking more about these issues of housing, of jobs, education, of unemployment, of healthcare, then it, the left would find it much easier to win over not just the centre people, but actually right, right people, to be on the right. Yeah, I mean, that's one, that's one of the um, important things as well when it comes to, like, the media. It's influence, isn't it? That's, that's one of the biggest, uh, let's say, uh, what do you call polarising factors about what people will think about because you more people are going to think about the culture war uh because that's what the media is uh what, what would you say inflaming uh inflating i don't know they're, they're putting it out there more than things about economics and all that because one of the biggest hills to die on anyone nowadays can say you're not doing enough 
uh, you're not diverse enough in your uh, institution or if you want to go for um, other examples like let's say a politician has said something um, that may have uh, come across as racist but it's very out of context where mm. he's not actually he or she so is not actually being racist and it's like okay um, but you've taken it out of context and you're going to blow that up when you've got 15 million children starving in whatever country yeah. and you're not going to talk about that, but you're going to talk like, about an out of context little soundbite. In this <laughs> country, we have 19 million people below the poverty line. That's one in four. In America, there are, I think it's 23 million people now who do not have basic medical care. That's disgraceful. You know, yeah. we have schools that are not teaching people the right things. We will not, we have one in three kids in the UK one in four in america who do not understand how to you can't read they're illiterate for heaven's sake and i think yeah. for the progressive parties on the left james come back to you now but the progressive parties on the left it's i would do to say things like you know nobody i was saying last week that nobody should ever have to go without food housing clothing and medical care but i also think when it comes to education that the president Biden should make a central initiative to eliminate illiteracy and an ability not an ability to do arithmetic Everyone should be able to count and read. And I think if that became such a part of his domestic agenda, I think a lot of traditional Republican family values people would be against, would be for that. Yeah, I, I think so. I think if, I think saying, say, saying to anybody that I want my population to be, to be able to read, or my population to be able to write, my population to be able to, uh, to do basic arithmetic, I feel, like, I feel like not only does that tap into the Republican value of uh, how, uh, the family, like, like you said, of them saying, "Oh, we're one big happy family," because you will be. Because if you if you if you can communicate with your child by text, I mean, if if you, if, you, if you think about it now, in America, in America, I think isn't it isn't it something like seventy five percent can't re, uh, seventy sorry twenty five percent can't read or write or something like that? Is that is it, am I wrong? Yeah. So in yeah. Some, so, so, so in some states like Tennessee, it's nearly forty five percent, but the average is twenty five. In South, it's about forty five percent. So absolutely, the, the, the average is about twenty five, which means one four. If, if if you walk outside now, if you leave your room, yeah, and you just you walk up the street, what do you see? You see cars. Things, yeah. Yeah. Cars yeah. Late, 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 they won't be able to read. We won't be able to read what brand of car that is. If they walk, if they walk past the restaurant, they won't be able to. They won't be able to tell. Well, they won't be able to tell what restaurant serves. They and 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 it's, it's all of these. It's all of these little minor things that we take for granted. I mean, you 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 can walk outside right now, Dad. Go 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 past some restaurants and say, oh, that's a it's a steakhouse. Or you can go past the restaurant and say, oh oh it's um oh it's a oh it's a KFC. Yeah, they won't be able to do that because they haven't had the basic. They haven't had the basic needs to be able to read. And, uh, read, uh, write, and so on, and we just and we just take this for granted. And I feel like if Biden, if Biden highlight highlights how much of an issue it would be not to be able to read and write, how much an issue it is to to, to not even be able to, to not even not even be able to communicate with your family with a text message or whatever, how, how much of an issue that is. I think I I, I think Biden will immediately. I, I think I think Biden will win over millions of people. I think I think I think if 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 he says if he says in his manifesto is it called a manifesto in America? Uh, it's called a manifesto. It's a platform, but yeah, it's pretty much a platform. Okay. Um, if if, no, if, if he says on his platform, the president doesn't write the manifesto; the delegates write it at the convention. Okay. So so, but if if if, if it's written in one of his promises that that, that any pledge that say that says, I I am going to do I am going to do this, 
I'm going to make sure that all Americans by the end of my uh, by the end of my second term or the end of this term right now can read, write, and do basic arithmetic. He will win over millions. Yeah. I don't. I don't think. I, I I genuinely think. I genuinely think that it's essentially that's never been looked into on an election before. Mm-hmm. It's never been questioned. And if, if he make if then if he makes that one of his one of his like key key goals, it'll have to be talked about. If President Biden makes central of his agenda in 24, part of the education platform makes it bigger an issue that in the next four years he's going to tackle it so that every American can read, write, and count. So there's no illiteracy and there's no irredacy and there's arithmetic that that will not only win over family values Republicans, but it'll strike into the national feeling of caring for people better and actually helping people get jobs. Michael, you are you are you now impersonating a Trappist monk? Oh, sorry, no, I didn't know you were asking me that. My bad. Um, it's it's a hard one. Can you just I- explain that point a bit better for me? Because right. I'm. I, it, this is probably where do, one where, of do the... clarif- where do you need the clarification? Just what the whole policy. Uh, give me more of the sort of public impact clarification. Well, if President Biden said to, uh, that he's going to make part of his agenda that every single American can read, write, and add up properly, how many people would... Right now, it's nearly one in two in the southern states, one in four nationwide who can't do that. How many people would find a job interview much easier? How many people would find reading much easier? Reading oh, God, I mean, if we're, t- if we're asking about how easy would it be, then God, God yeah, it would be so much easier. Yeah. The uh, lives would improve massively. Yeah, and do you know what it needs to not be about either? It, it, one of the biggest things that they are, especially a base that will make it like this, and it's one of my biggest frustrations when it comes to schools now in America, it, they're, they're talking about... You know, they're arguing over, never mind literacy, they're arguing over critical race theory. And it's like, come on, get off that. Republicans Republicans are doing CRT, it's not Democrats. You look at, for example, Glenn Youngkin's campaign in Virginia last November, that was basically just critical race theory, nothing about education, nothing about the schools and hospitals. They're always talking about culture. Just stop talking about that. No one, I mean, it's just like, no one's going to get an easier interview by learning 70% critical race theory and 30% literacy. Michael, the issue with that thesis is very simple. Is that for the last 40 years, I'd argue, the exception of the Clinton years, that America's education policy, in terms of the debate, has always been the most stupid things, right? So yeah. with Reagan, it was prayer in the public schools. That was his biggest. You must have the voluntary prayer amendment. Oh, yeah, that's on just the- one of the littlest issues you can make out of something so insignificant. It's absurdly insignificant. Under Bush, okay, yes, no child left behind was actually a pretty good piece of legislation, actually. No one let me say that, no one let me say that, but it, it, it was a pretty good bill because it strengthened the abilities arithmetic ability to read write and count but then bush made it all about gun free schools and then of course now it's about race theory and i'd argue if if politicians on both sides because of course we'll have different approaches on it you know yeah. different approaches on how to get people to read write and count or how do we get teachers paid more in the inner city schools we'll have a fundamental debate about it but at least that and i think personally if 
the domestic policy was oriented around actually talking about improving the schools through paying more, through actual assessment, the healthcare system, making it free of policies. If that was the debate, don't you think millions of people who are currently not energized with politics would be much more energized with politics because they'd see that politicians yeah. are debating things that actually have an impact on their own lives and not nonsense? Yeah, can I tell you something else as well? Uh, when people like even when you want to improve education, you need to have more. Uh, it's more at the beginning years. That's why you got to strike it. Yeah. You know, the issue is at the beginning years of someone's education. Uh, let's say, oh, because it's a grade system over there. Um, I and I only know like English years. You know, like year one, year two. Let's say it's year one. Um, I don't. I'm, I'm assuming I'll be grade one in America. I could be yeah. so wrong. I have no idea. Uh, but it's like you let's say um okay public program you've got um every teacher in uh, e- even poorer schools like poor neighborhoods that would be probably one of the um most important ones uh they're all trained to be um teaching in literacy and uh, you know numbers as well numerical stuff as well that'd be another important one so at least give him a head start it needs to be striked a lot sooner rather than when you go to middle school and high school i mean come on it's like it, Part if four yeah you know so let's look at the three major educational reform bills we had clinton's which was actually no, let's look let's go beyond let's look at the last five so we had the Head Start program on the LVJ that yes. basically provided for the first four years more funding to the poorer schools and the poorer students to do well in the up to grade four, right? Mm. You, that, that was Hubert Humphreys. I did absolutely marvellous. My view should be expanded to all up to basically pre-K, to K-12. It should be expanded to all 12 grades. Uh, there was Bill Clinton's education bill, which is very much focused on... Um, teacher quality on gun-free schools on drug-free schools on standardized testing on investment in edu- in, in non-core subjects things like dramas arts and music those george bushes which is the no child left behind bill which actually again was a pretty progressive piece of legislation um that focused on no one heard that again that was on standardized testing that was focused on a more more aid to the poorer schools actually it was more aid than clinton gave more aid yeah and then there was obviously they ditched the vouchers now i think i was wrong i think we must have private school vouchers i think personally there's nothing wrong with offering people a four thousand dollar voucher to go or that pound about four thousand pound voucher to go to a private school if they want to and providing that they, they don't want to go to the state system now that's whilst we fix the state sector i'm fully in favor of fixing the state sector of education massively we'll discuss that in another episode of the podcast uh hopefully shorter than this one but this has been very comprehensive but i think we got to solve it one at the same time fix private whilst fix state whilst maintaining private and bush did do that and obama yes. strengthened it for the federal aid education program strengthened paying teachers more, creating more after-school societies. So, don't you think in a way that all four education major bills, so LBJ's, Bill Clinton's, George W. Bush's, and Barack Obama's, have all been good? Yeah, I mean, you know, when we talk about education in America. There's so many opportunities to make it better. Why does it keep missing? Like, you know, why why do they take a shot and they miss it so wide? It's like probably one of the 
you know, most silly things you can do is like screwing that up. James, what do you think? Uh, about... Do you want go through the bills again? Should I go through those four bills again? Yeah, go, go for it. Right, so we had start on the LBJ, which basically said in the first four grades of education, so like till year four, the poorest schools got more money than the wealthiest schools, so therefore they could fund education in the early years. Then there was uh, Bill Clinton's, which focused on funding uh, non-course subjects, things like dramas, arts and music, which gave more standardised testing, which focused on drug-free schools, which uh, actually built more schools than any president since Johnson or after Clinton. Uh, there was George Bush's No Child Left Behind Act, just standardized testing. Yes. Schools. There was, oh yeah, pretty progressive piece of legislation. Which gave more federal to the schools and discredited, discredited vouchers, though I'm in favor of private vouchers for education because I believe if you give four thousand vouchers, if someone's got to private school, they should go to private school. But whilst we fix the state system as well, that's the key. We could improve private schools whilst fixing the state schools. You can't abandon one for the other, in my view. Yeah. And there was President Obama's legislation, which, of course, um, gave more to the federal aid to the schools than any other government has since. That has done more paid teachers, more and after-school clubs for the young people. So do you think all four of them were actually good pieces of legislation? I think, yeah, they're good pieces of legislation. They're absolutely amazing pieces of legislation. But we're, treat, we're treating them like they're the best thing that's happened, when realistically, they're just the bare minimum. It should be. It should be. What? Oh well. People can study drama. Well, what? What's a, what's a big deal that is? It, it should have already been that. It should already be that they should be able to study drama in the first place. And they said, oh well, state STEM, James. Yeah. Because we place the on science, technology, engineering, math. Exactly. Somehow discarded that musicians are relevant. Exactly. Actors are this bullshit. It's nonsense. The, the fact. The, the fact. The fact. The fact. And then. And then. And then. And then. And then we're discarding. We're discarding the fact that. Uh, uh, what, what George Bush's policy? What was it called again? Sorry, I forgot the name. No child left behind. That no, no, no child left behind again. Again, that's the bare minimum. No yeah. child should be left behind. And yet, and yet, the fact that was a major piece yeah. of legislation in, Amer- in American history is ridiculous. It should it should be the bare minimum that no child get, gets treated differently yeah. based on the based on the wealth of their parents. Yeah, yeah. And then and then and then and then, and then uh, Barack Obama. Uh, what was it? Uh, uh, more education opportunity act, which basically gave more government money to the local schools. Again, keep giving state schools more money—the bare minimum. Yeah, <laughs> these are I'm... all these are all bare minimum things, and yet, and yet, in America, these are absolutely world-breaking stuff. It's absolutely <laughs> groundbreaking. When realistically, these, like these things, yeah, these yeah. things yeah. Should, should be given to them anyway, yeah. and it shouldn't—it shouldn't even be a debate. It should just be they want uh, the government, uh, the schools need more money. Give it to them. <laughs> it's, you're educating your children, and people people going, "Wow, they're giving money to the schools, absolutely amazing." But realistically, all, all they're doing is the bare minimum, and pe- and people are seeing like and see, seeing all these all these things as gospel. But realistically, they, they should have already been they should have already been influenced in the first. Chaps, we are past the two hour fifteen minute mark. I think yeah. it's time to. Bring this absolutely brilliant discussion to an end. I think I'll tell you what, this has been it's, this was better than last week, I think. Do you agree, James? Yeah. yeah I, I agree. I mean, I prefer American politics, so yeah. yeah, of course. I think the way I said the way we did the British America splits working that we do one week Britain, one week America, one week Britain, one week America. Next week it's gonna be NHS reform. In the fourth week, we're gonna do oh, I don't know, where, what do we do with America? Maybe this we'll discuss the Supreme Court, possibly, maybe education, who knows. 
but that's what we're going to do next week. We'll be NHS reforms about how we can re- rebuild and refund the National Health Service and restructure yes. for our good listeners to listen to. I think we have a good discussion about that. But from now, we will reconvene next Saturday to record the podcast and put it late Saturday, early Sunday morning. For now, it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from my good chats, James Roxburgh, Michael Tolino. Goodbye. Right. That care. was epic. Thank you very much, listeners. Talk to you later. No worries.